Welcome to the One Track Mind podcast. I'm your host, John Miller. And in this episode, I chat with the young gun, Robert Stout. Rob is the 2017 Mazda MX-5 Cup Rookie of the Year, and he returns to the championship for 2018, going for the big prize, the Mazda money this year. He's also a driver coach, and he was raised in Indianapolis with a dad who has a career in motorsports as a commentator and announcer. We talk about that a little bit. He also talks about getting to test the Delta Wing, a pretty unique experience in a unique race car, to say the least. He also talks about spending multiple weeks in Germany with BMW, going through their extensive training to become a certified BMW driving instructor, and some of the uh, shenanigans that went on while he was over there. We cover his early days in go-karts. We talk about the business of racing, raising sponsorship, finding the money to go racing, nursing those relationships, and sometimes making lemonade out of lemons when things don't go your way. If you enjoy the show, subscribe, tell your friends, share it, follow us on Instagram at one track mind show and enjoy the episode. It's kind of my way to invite people I know over to tell stories, talk about racing, talk about their careers, talk about stuff outside of racing. Um, and you're the first guest. So this is one, this is potentially going to be pretty rough. Yeah, yeah, man, this is a perfect excuse to come get away from the desert for a minute. So yeah, so you live in the desert. Why do you live in the desert? Yeah, (laughs) full-time desert right now. So um, instructing with uh, BMW and have been full-time over the past three years. At the West Coast. At the West Coast uh, Performance Performance Center. Center. Yep, correct. At At the Thermal Club. Um, so I thought that would be a great opportunity, of course, but... So let's rewind a second. How how did you get to to there, to being a full-time instructor? Yeah, at that's, Performance that's uh, I guess that's part of the story. I think <laughs> after 18, I bounced bounced down to Florida and Virginia Beach and just all over the east side of the country. You're, looking, you're from Indianapolis originally, From Indianapolis, right? right from the Midwest, okay. and was bouncing all around the southeast. And did you found, come from like an indie racing family? Like, what's your... I'm, gonna, I'm. You're trying to go you're, forward. Oh, okay. I'm you trying to, to rewind. You want to go all yeah. the way back? Um, yeah, if we're going all the Let's way back. Get the Rob I mean, Stout my, story. Yeah, my father's career. Uh, Ken Stout started in announcing and radio broadcasting forms uh, out at the English Town Raceway Park in New Jersey, which I think I might have just heard they're actually tearing down, which is a shame because that was majority of my childhood. English is not like that's a drag strip and yeah, a, yeah, full drag strip, and okay. that's where he got his start. Um, as a matter of fact, when he was there, he was just doing street legal Tuesday nights, random. I don't, I don't even know events whenever I was still in diapers and um, a long, as a driver, as like a competitor. Or he was oh there, no, no, like, no, as, as, as an announcer. Yeah, as an okay. announcer, he was actually doing some drag racing. He had I don't even know what it was, some turbo Kawasaki back in the day with a big drag slick on it uh, that he was he was drag racing there for a little while. But I think whenever I came into life, that uh, that went away courtesy of my mother. Um, no offense, mom. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that brought him into the drag strip Mm -hmm. and he started doing some work there and, uh, that got him eventually into TV, which kind of a funny story on that. end. a guy interviewed him, said, Hey, give us a little bit about this motorcycle. And he went around doing his, his little talk. Um, and the story goes that, that at the time guy that was interviewing him walked away saying, well, that guy's never going to make it in this industry. (laughs) Um, and a few years later, not only did my dad obviously make it. Uh, but those two ended up becoming business partners together in the future and are still best friends. That guy actually went um, on whoops. to uh, be, what, what's the word? The, the guy that married my sister at, at her wedding this past year. 
Um, oh, who like performed the ceremony? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, Steve Grine, awesome guy, great family friend now. So yeah, that got my nice. dad into it, and eventually that brought the family to Indianapolis, more central, and uh, from there it, uh, it got me into into racing carts out there at Mark Dismore's track out in Newcastle. Um, have you ever been out there? You been to Newcastle? No. Uh, no. Newcastle's awesome. Uh, huge straightaways, like one mile cart course. So, Sweet. Uh, where Connor Daly and Justin Newgarden, a bunch of the boys were out there racing around the same time as me. So, uh, after, I mean, cart racing took off. That was 13, 14 years old. We were traveling all around the country, gotcha. um, full, full cart on the gas. And that was uh, the most unbelievable, probably still to this day, racing that I've uh, ever done uh, yeah. with the competition level, of course. So, um, loved that and loved traveling around and somewhere in that, in that high school or, you know, late middle school, high school age, we kind of, I wrapped my head around the fact that that was what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so, so you, as a kid, you did it as something to do with your dad and it was just a fun thing to do. Did you like set out from an early age? Like your dad was like, I'm going to mold him into a pro driver or was it just something? Yeah, not at all. Not at all. You guys like to do together. Yeah, we actually, I, my deal was, I remember cause obviously trying to move a 10 year old kid <laughs> from New Jersey to Indianapolis. Um, I'd imagine could be quite the task. I don't think I was that bad as a kid moving across the country, but, uh, that had, Basically, my, my you deal, were. I'm sure you were. <laughs> I'm sure I was. My uh, my deal was I want a four wheeler. That's what I always wanted. I wanted a quad. Uh, I really wanted a junior dragster, but I knew that was not going to happen. <laughs> that was unrealistic. But probably safer than a quad, though. To be honest. Yeah. Right. So we got the quad. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and uh, that, yeah. that that was my way to go have some fun with my dad, and we'd go out and we'd go ride quads. And after a year or two, actually, there was a cart uh, shop right there in our hometown, across from where we stored the four wheelers. And it started raining one day. We weren't going to go ride for whatever reason. And I was like, well, let's, I always wanted to go stop and see what this place has. I always see the go-karts out front. Let's go check it out. And, um, of course, naturally, as a kid, I begged for one, and I want a go-kart now. Um, so about another year later uh, for Christmas, I got the go-kart. Do you have to give up the quad? Was that part of the deal? Or was it like – We just... kept the quad, but it didn't matter anymore. I gave up yeah, the quad. That, I didn't want okay, it. So I was, out, was of the, out of the question. It was time to go karting. Um, I knew nothing about it. I'd never been on a racetrack. I'd never driven anything like that. I'd just been to the drag strips, monster truck shows with my dad. That was about it. You were, what, 10, 11 years old, you said? Yeah, I was probably like 11, 11, 12 um, okay. once, I, once I got in there. And I actually remember the first time I ever went out in a cart. It was cold and damp, and I had to break in the engine, which at the time I knew nothing about. I was just told to keep the engine between these two RPMs. So I went out, floored it, staring at the little Micron until I got up into the proper RPM band and realized there was a 90-degree left-hand turn and immediately turned one, yard-sailed it through the mud, uh, all the way out to the fence, just whiskey-throttling the thing, had no idea. We had to immediately bring it in and clean the whole thing off, and that was uh, that was the start right there. Yeah, I was and done. it I really was... hasn't ever turned down from that, has No, it? I still yeah. go off and immediately send it into the mud and turn one. Um, no, so it was uh, super cool, and... Uh, you know, after you know a few months of playing around, that turned into hey, let's enter one of the regional races and see what it's all about. My only goal is to not be dead last, um, which I think I accomplished by being like second to last. Yeah, but hey, uh, but that was a step in the right direction. And matters. after a couple of years of regional uh, karting stuff out at Newcastle, we entered Stars of Karting, which it was Bobby Rahal, I think, was oh, was yeah. over the Stars of Karting okay. there for a while. And um, yeah, that, that's when things got pretty serious and it was, okay, this is what we're doing. We're in a motorhome. I've got my mechanic with me basically full-time traveling around the country. 
Um, Were you in school at the time? I mean, yeah, I was in high school. And basically the great thing about Indianapolis, it's a racing city. So, and especially right there in Brownsburg, just outside of Speedway, which we didn't know it at the time moving there, turned into the huge racing mecca. All the race teams, uh, especially drag race teams are based out of that town. So, uh, the high school was pretty much all about it. Like, yeah, this is your deal. This is what you do. You You time off if you need to go do whatever it is you got to do. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was awesome. That's, and, I mean, that, that sounds like, so I haven't spent a lot of time in India. I've been there to, to race a couple of times in Continental Tire Series, and I've been to the track a few times. But for me, growing up, the, you know, Indy was not something that was really on my radar. I mean, I, I came into racing even a little bit later than, than most people um, who make a career out of it. But, you know, the, it sounds like from everything I've, I've heard about the people who live there and who've grown up there, the culture of that place is just awesome. so supportive of racing and, and, and the track and the, you know, like you said, drag racing, karting, IndyCar yep. sports. I mean, like it's all, it's all there. Um, and so that's, that's really cool to hear from, yeah. from that perspective as like a kid, you didn't have to like, Oh, you know, screw you teacher. Like, uh, I'm going to just drop out. And it's like, no, we get it. Like yeah. there's probably 20 other kids <clears throat> in your grade who are doing the same thing or trying to do the same thing. Yeah. So. And it was even more for racing. I mean, we had, basketball players i mean gordon hayward who's a, a star nba player um was kind of w- was from our school i mean two guys that are up in the mlb right now that are playing together for the reds if i remember correctly uh so it, i mean it was more supportive of just racing it was a super supportive school and township in general just for sports and and allowing kids to do what they needed to do in order to make sure that they got the best out of whatever it is they were trying to chase um awesome. Yeah, so that was a blast and cool, and that that allowed me a little bit of freedom. I mean, there was always hiccups from time to time, but that was more so with me than my racing, I think. Um, so yeah, traveling around became uh, became a lot of fun, and then just trying to learn and develop everything that I needed to do. From okay, I'm not just going out to the regional cart course having fun anymore. Now I need to start taking it a little more seriously and figuring it out. And of course, with the carding stuff, that's where setup became the biggest thing and trying to figure out everything about, okay, how do I relay this information on what this thing is doing? Um, Derek, like I said, Connor Daly was one of the big, big, um, now big name guys that, that grew up racing out at Newcastle. So his father, Derek Daly was there. Sure. And I remember one of the, one of the biggest pieces of information, I still use it from time to time and I sit there and I'm like, man, what, what exactly is this thing doing was... Derek said, back when I was running carts, he said, if you were to hold it, he said, what is stopping you from going faster through that turn? What's stopping you? Are you afraid that the car is going to go straight off the racetrack or are you afraid that it's going to completely spin out? And I'm like, man, I'm afraid it's going to spin out. He's like, then you're loose. (laughs) That was the most simple way. Bing. Yeah. And I still, every now and then I'm sitting in the car, I'll be like. Am I afraid I'm going to spin out and go off the track? Oh, yep. The car's a little bit tight on exit, whatever the case is. So that was probably one of the biggest yeah, um, helpful like, uh, engineers that I still work with. And I'm sure you work with today. Like that's, that's one of the questions you get from the engineer is, you know, uh, you know, finish this sentence. I could go faster if, yeah. And it's just boil it down to like, what, what is holding you back? And so it's an simple. interesting, I never yeah. felt so dumb in my life. I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay. That's, that's, I can put that one together. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Actually, I, uh, are you familiar with Steve Welk? Have you met him yeah, before? Yeah, so I, I sat next to uh, Steve Welk at the, in the Spotters Tower at the Daytona 24 Hour this year. Yeah, still doing the, a lot of the Road to Indy stuff with Mazda. And so I run into him from time to time still. But I don't remember what it was, what event it was. But he came and helped out for a few weekends along the way. And I remember coming in and being so frustrated with the cart 
and you know whatever 14 years old or something and i was just like god i'm throwing my gloves in the seat and i'm like he said what's going on with it i said it sucks the car just sucks and i was so frustrated and you know he shook it off he did he didn't really care that did whatever he was doing and somewhere along the way i remember going back into the motorhome and he's sitting in there and he's just he made himself a sandwich and he was just sitting down eating i was like so thrown off i'm like did you make any changes to the cart and he just looked at me and he said i don't know how to fix sucks (laughs) and that was probably one of the biggest learning moments that i had in karting was help me help you dummy yeah right (laughs) you gotta gotta be more specific you gotta be more specific than that so um obviously karting was huge and then obviously the racing craft all came along with it because anytime you had to yeah. spend that many re- weekends racing with uh, the factory tow cart guys and all the guys coming from Brazil, you realize yeah. that um, you use bumpers a lot in cart racing. Yeah. Well, and, and so, you know, it's interesting too, you know, getting to the point where you're, you're at a super competitive level and wanting to throw your gloves down in the seat and going, ah, the cart sucks. It, you know, emotion is a big part of this. Huge. And, and so, you know, I think learning from a young age or having people around you from a young age going, Hey, you know, you may be pissed, you may be frustrated, but it's not going to make you any faster to be pissed and frustrated. That, that doesn't help the car. That no. doesn't help your driving. Uh, no. And it doesn't help the, the mechanic and the crew guys around you are going, why am I, yeah. why am I just, trying so hard to do all this? And you're just upset throwing your gloves around, throwing a little temper tantrum and storming away. What, what do you want me yeah. to do about it? So, um, and it's still, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, 26 years old now and still doing it. And well, so sooner you, or later, you, you're you going to come that, in still fired up, yeah, you know, you still get fired up about it, but now you know how to harness it and, and, uh, and make it a productive hissy fit rather than yeah. just, you know, storming off and, yeah. and the team gets all sucks does not fix the, oh, oh. fix the car. Apparently. Right. Um, right. Exactly. All right. So, so fast forward a little bit from, from the karting days to now you're starting to want to race cars at some point, right? That, that had to be on your radar. It's yeah. like, how do I make the transition from carts to cars? And for me, I mean, I, I, I did some karting. That was kind of my introduction to motorsport. And it, that's a kind of a long, uninteresting story for another time. Um, but I didn't really spend a whole lot of time in carts. I, I kind of went right into cars um, along the, the Skip Barber path. And that's actually where you and I met for the first yes. time. But how did you, um, how did you get to cars from? Yeah. Cars? So, so the first question is, <clears throat> where do you go from carts? Because you can go sports car racing. You can go open wheel racing, which is of course the traditional route from carts. And then, I mean, you can go oval track racing. You can change over there. We actually had purchased a dirt late model before I ever even drove a car in my entire life. Um, Never, ever ended up driving the thing. We just thought that might be a good route for whatever reason at the time. Uh, and then, of course, Skip Barber was the known school coming out of carts. So it was okay. Yeah, RIP Skip Barber. They've, yeah, they've got, yeah, there it is. Uh, they've got the Open Wheel series, and they at the time had started the MX5 deal, or maybe were a few years in, into that. That's right. Yeah. Cause Moz did come along to replace Dodge as, uh, as the, the main sponsor of yes. the series. And so there, it was the Formula, quote unquote, Formula Mazdas. Uh, with the two liters, and then uh, yeah, they they just started with the MX fives, the NC chassis. I think yes. they were, yep. um, and they were doing you know closed wheel racing school, like you said, versus uh, open wheel. And and it it was interesting at the time because I was involved uh, as as an instructor for Skip Bar. I came through as a racer. I was involved as an instructor, but um, I think you know Mazda coming in and saying, hey, you know, we want to create a a ladder. Uh, yep. You know, I mean, a ladder system is. <clears throat> it frustrates me because it's almost it's almost just a marketing term because it's it's so 
it's so difficult to say, okay, hey, you know, we're going to, you know, and I'm being, I'm being hypercritical of it because it's so hard to, to make it in yes. racing. There's not this typical, mm-hmm. okay, you're a high school athlete, then you're a college athlete, then you're a pro right. athlete, sign your contract, have your career done. Well, and especially for sports so, car racing of all things, because even within sports car racing, there's so many different branches exactly. that you can start heading to. But so, so I'll give Mazda credit. You know that that they they came in and, and supported Skip Barber Racing School and created this this ladder system um, for people to say, hey, look, I want to go open wheel or I want to go sports car, and this this makes sense. There's a progression yeah. here. So was that something that that was on your radar at the time? Yeah, because it, of the ladder system. Well, you know, it was. I wouldn't say the ladder system really caught my attention. It certainly did in the open wheel world, and it makes a lot of sense in the open wheel world because Mazda has done a very good job at creating a ladder system through open wheel assuming you're capable of winning a championship every single year. Right. You have to perform day in, yeah. day out. But, but at least they do give you the the opportunity for that. And it makes a lot of sense on the open wheel side of things, but it's very difficult in sports cars. So uh, the big thing for me was basics, just learning the car, the weight transfer, H patterns, uh, some of the basic things. And yeah, RIP R- H patterns. So, <laughs> so yeah, those... Um, Everything's paddles a, nowadays. That's all another uh, yeah. conversation. But. Yeah, what a shame. Um so anyhow, the main thing with sports car racing was it's a mul- most series are multi-driver formats. And with the multi-driver format, um, w- along with manufacturers, and there's there seem to be more opportunities. Hey, maybe a manufacturer gets a good look at you. Maybe uh, a quote-unquote gentleman driver gets a, a good look at you and wants yeah. to take you under his wing. Whatever the case is, okay, we've got more opportunities here for a family that, okay, we have some relationships in the motorsports industry enough to, to maybe help guide us in the right direction. Uh, but but we don't have million dollar checks ready to be written to to go join a team. So okay, let's get into this. Let's get familiar with the sports cars. Make sure it is something that I want to do after I get done driving them. Yeah. Um, and then we'll pick a, a path from there. So that just made the most sense for us financially because at the end of the day, we can't afford a half a million dollar seat in a Pro Mazda or seven hundred thousand, whatever it is that they're asking these days. Right. Yeah. Open wheel. That the costs are uh, compared to the similar. Um, level of sports car racing, the costs uh, are, are just huge in open wheel racing. And, and, and sports car racing is trying to catch up. <laughs> Don't sell them short. We're trying to yeah, catch up to the price level. Last few years, they've, they've done a good job of that. I mean, yeah. there's just an article that, uh, that came out this morning um, talking about how you know, IMSA is trying to do some uh, do more to keep the costs of GTD, you know, GT3 right. car racing down. I mean, and, and you look at, we were just talking about this, uh, you know, a few minutes ago before we started, you know, the entry list for the uh, PWC Sprintex championship is, you know, 38 GT4 cars, GTS cars, which is, awesome. which is fantastic. But if you look at the list, it's a lot of people that, you know, have raced GT3 in the past or mm-hmm. people who like might have the budget to have run GT3, but you know, it's like, it's, it's so crazy nowadays. And so, so, it, you know, on the same subject, IMSA is now talking about what can we do to keep the cost of GT three cars down right. for, for next year. Um, and when it's, you know, when it's two and a half, three year, you know, your budget's three and a half million or more to run a GT car for a yeah. season. It's like, dude, that's, that's oh, indie car money. That's prototype that is money. Indie, that is indie car money. That's NASCAR money. I can go run the Indianapolis 500. And I, I mean, probably you have anybody that has any kind of open wheel experience. I mean, there's teams out there where I bet you you can go and say, man, I've got $3 million ready to go. How can we work out an IndyCar deal? The market's doing good enough where these teams are capable of maybe bringing in a little bit of their own sponsorship to meet you in the middle. And for the same 
amount of money you can run alongside of other drivers. So you're running the risk of never even actually uh, driving the car in GTD. And for that same amount of money, you're you're in the lowest level of IMSA racing. I don't want to say lowest right. level, right? But but well, yeah. Um, but, you've got, but it is. It is. You've got prototypes, and you've got you know the manufacturer GTLM cars, yeah. which get a lot of attention, and there's a lot of money being spent there too. But for privateers, yep. To want to say, hey, look, you know, it used to be a million bucks would get you a, a GT season. And holy crap, a million bucks is a lot of yeah. money to spend on GT racing if you're not a manufacturer. And, and that's that's the point now is that GT3 slash GTD in, in IMSA is supposed to be, you know, privateer racing. Yeah. But the reality is it has become so expensive now over the past you know, two to three seasons that it's required manufacturers to get involved. So you've got these backdoor deals going on where, you know, privateer teams are getting support from the factories, whether it's money, parts, logistics, help engineering, you know, they're having some of their costs either directly paid or offset by the manufacturer. Right. Then you've got other programs <clears throat> that IMSA has essentially allowed in like the Acura program last year and the, right. Le the Lexus program, you know, they allow them in on a waiver to say, hey, look, okay, you can run your deal for one year to try and sell some cars and, and get up and running. Um, but, uh, but you know, then after that, you've got to figure it out. Well, okay, figuring it out means, all right, well, uh, as, far as, as far as the public is concerned, there's no, you know, it's not a factory program anymore. But, right. you know, if you look at it, it's like, hey, come on, there, there's still subsidizing going on here because there has to be yeah. if those teams want to be on the grid because no privateer wants to spend multi-million dollars a year. Yeah. And, and you know, there are a few exceptions to that rule and, and people who do have the budget and, and want to go do it and, and do it successfully. But, you know, the, the general trend is that, hey, GT3 is is out of control it's it yes. costs too much um and, and it's a shame what a shame because it's some of the coolest cars and coolest form of motorsports out there right now yeah and um, it's uh, it's absolutely, absolutely through the roof so but but yeah so you know talking about talking about costs i mean that was kind of where where your your thought process was in getting into sports cars initially this yeah. is this is you know 10 12 years ago now right 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 so so now we're uh you know, we, we get into sports cars and we found uh, the World Challenge format made a lot of sense at the time because when you look at the at the price tag on a World Challenge seat as opposed to IMSA, it's immediately lower. Now, of course, you don't have all the crew uh, to... Yeah, no pit stops. Uh, no pit needed. stops. You don't, you don't yeah. need all the crew. You don't need everything that goes along with it. Well, look, uh, I mean, let's more fuel why tires. SprintX is so popular, I think, because SprintX is a two-driver format. Yeah, there's a pit stop, but you're not changing tires. You're not adding fuel. You don't have to bring all and that the, And the race still the isn't track. four hours long, so you're right. still not burning all the fuel, the tires, the... Uh, it's it's a pretty good deal. Obviously, obviously, they've got 38 cars on the entry list, right. so people are it's appealing. So, uh, I got that deal on touring car, and we had an awesome season. Uh, one of the best. That was in the Scion. That was in the Scion TC yeah. in 2010. Um, you know, we jumping ahead a little bit. I ran a few years, ran NASA regionals, uh, nationals, got got sure. some national championships and things like that. And is that did you have a relationship with Toyota prior to that? Or we did didn't. That was um, to a to be completely honest. I don't even remember how that relationship came about with um, DG Spec was the name of yeah. the team that some people are probably familiar with. And um, the cars were great. It was through that deal, we did make a relationship with some, some of the guys from Scion and Toyota. And we continued to have a fairly dominating season. And if you would have asked me back in 2010 how my future was going to be, I was like, yeah, I'll be a factory driver for the next two years. Um <laughs> But it was, uh, it was really good. We had a lot of sponsors on board. People were really happy at the time. And we couldn't have, I mean, we won 
driver's championship team, uh, Toyota's first manufacturer championship. The TV time was excellent. Um, and so, we, and we lost 30, 40% of our sponsors for the next season. So for no right. rhyme or for, reason, right. we, Not, everything no went as good as it could have gone. It's yeah. just the name of the game. So it, yeah. Economy, other things outside of your control that, that absolutely. changed. And, yep. Yeah. Some people just decided we're not going to market in, uh, on pavement racing anymore. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> there goes everything I've worked for, you know? Um, right. so it's just the name of the game, but it was a, it was a good year. Scion was really happy. And at the time they said, Hey, we want, uh, talking to my, my father and I, we want you guys to come back and maybe even run your own program using some of our cars. We want, we want to keep you guys around and keep you in the industry. And, um, we didn't want to do that. We wanted to move up. We didn't want to stay in touring car. And in 2010, they said, okay, well we might have this, uh, two door rear wheel drive vehicle coming out in the next few years. Now skipping forward was the, uh, FRS, the Cyan FRS Subaru BRZ combo car. Um, sure. But so, so your success in 2010 with the touring car, you know, it didn't, it didn't necessarily maybe pay off immediately, right? You were hoping to, you know, swing that into 2011, right. you know, a, a step up into a GTS car at the time or a yes. GT car. And so that's not how it worked out initially. No. But, but this it, relationship with Toyota, that's kind of where it, where it started. Yeah. Right? And that, and that, that came back, um, to benefit us in the future and to do more work with them. But yeah, now, now going into 2011, it's okay. What's the next step now? So I remember at the time looking at a GT car in world challenge, and I want to say it was less than $300,000 to run a GT car in world challenge for a winning vehicle for a full season, Yeah, for a full season. And we were saying ah, that's too much money. We can't, we can't, yeah. and we, I mean, it's not, it wasn't our money that we were spending, you know, we didn't have the money. So even if we, we did, but it's, we're it's going, more than, yeah, more than you can more than raise, we've more ever than, had. Yeah. yeah. So we went over to the roar at Daytona and went around, shook hands, um, drove a couple different cars. And within five minutes of meeting Chris Mitchum, um, he had the two Camaros out there for GS running and we shook hands, talked to him really be- briefly. Uh, one of the most straight up guys we had ever met. He just shot us. Here's what it is. Here's what it cost. Who's here's who you would be with. Da 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 da. Boom boom boom. No yeah. sales pitch. No anything. He was actually in the midst of changing out of his fire suits. We caught him in his underwear at the time, <laughs> um, and we immediately had a great relationship with him. And yeah. we, were, we walked away looking at each other. My dad and I going, "That's that's this the guy. makes sense. This, this, this makes sense. This feels good." It it's, was yeah. with Jeff Bucknam, who was an Indy 500 sure. competitor for years at the time, factory GM driver. So. Um, we made that whole deal happen pretty and that, quickly. That was was that the the first year that, that Chevy brought the Camaro back to GS that to compete with like the Mustang. I, I think 2010 was, was the first year because Stevenson had the number six Sunoco throwback car, right. That Bucknam had driven. That's right. And then it, it mm. expanded. There was multiple teams. I think CKS was the name of the team that had a couple Camaros. CKS, yeah. Mitchum now started. And then Stevenson um, still running them. And then Black Forest uh, had that that Challenger. Yes, that never ran right. That, that it, Thing. I think really, sounded awesome. It but ran I think really good in a straight line. It did. And I remember, I think like at one race, they had all kinds of mechanical issues with that car. There was one race where they were doing really well. It was like VIR or something. I, I can't remember where it was like the car was holding together. They were on the pace. They were like being competitive. And then like the hood pin, somebody left the hood pins undone or something. And, and on the pace lap of the race or, uh, or, or it might've been during the pit stop or something because the car had been competitive all yeah. weekend. And it was like, ugh. Like you, you just, you just don't want to succeed with that thing. Do you? Like, yeah, it's that car always something with that was car. never given a, I wouldn't want to say it was never given a fighting shot, but man, the luck was just never on that car's side. Yeah. And but, they were just goofy looking car. 
Um, it was like, same with the like Camaros, six inches off the ground, all this huge wheel yeah, gap. Well, yeah, the, the, I don't remember what size wheel tire we were running because the Camaro was no different. And it looked like you put these little baby training wheel tires on these big American muscle cars. But yeah, um, yeah ton of fun. And that was a big learning curve for me. That was the biggest learning curve I bet I had in, in getting into professional motorsports hmm. was just learning how to drive that car for whatever reason. The sign. Was it the power or the, the, the rear wheel drive the or weight transfer? The, the way every the, the Scion touring car was front wheel drive, correct? Front wheel drive. And that was lighter. the first front wheel drive car you'd ever driven? Yes, and just really easy to manhandle that car around. So for whatever reason, I was I was off the pace at Daytona. I didn't I didn't pick it up right away, and I was co-driving alongside uh, in the team car was Lawson, Aschenbach, and Joey Atterbury. Yeah, um, and I remember Joey at the time saying, "Man, it's just going to click. You're going to get you're going to get a couple sessions under your belt. Wrap your head around it at some point. Sooner or later, yeah. it's just going to click, and you're going to go. Oh, I can't believe I didn't figure that out the whole time." Um, and sure enough, we went through a, a, the, probably the first two races, you know, I was up to speed. I wasn't way off the pace, but it just wasn't quite turning the laps that I know I should have been. And I think it was VIR actually, where all of a sudden it was light bulb went off and I was like, okay, I, I understand this car now more horsepower, less tire. Um, just the way the transmission worked, everything along under the sun really came together. And that's when I was like, okay, now I'm turning the fastest times on, on the team at that event. And I remember it was the big thing at that, that weekend at VIR. And I was really pumped about that, especially against some of the guys that were on the team. So, um, all of a sudden it came together and talk about a year. Look, I remember being so frustrated at the end of that season, especially coming off 2010, we never won a race. And that was the year we were all chasing the win. Stevenson CKS, who is going to be the first Camaro team to claim a victory that year. And we led so many races. We ran, I mean, Watkins Glen, we ran one, two. And at the end of the race, they're going, no one's going to make it on fuel. Roush won't be able to make it. No one's going to make it. 42 minutes worth of caution in the last hour of the race. <laughs> and we lose that thing. And just so oh. many heartbreaking finishes. But um, what a ton of fun 2011 was. And a huge learning curve in that, uh, in that Camaro. Uh, but again, prices from right there on, on out started going up in the class i couldn't come back up with enough money to run gs again after that yeah um, so then the scramble really began well so so talk about uh, i'm curious you know how you go about i mean how early in you know in the 2011 season are you thinking about 2012 and like what are what is your process like for you know managing the financial side of it i mean are you how early are you pitching next year's program what are you having to do to keep your your current supporters happy yeah and that's where and and, and you've had you've had some long-term supporters and you've had yeah. some short i mean you've you've worked the sponsorship and the you know the outside money side of it really well and that's kind of you know it's one of the reasons i i've I wanted to talk to you about that is because so how do you how do you justify how do you pitch you know how what are you know, where have you found success in, um, you know, raising money and, and in continuing to, to keep sponsors loyal yeah, and, and so that's, be loyal to that's such a, It's all of it. That's, that is racing. That, yeah. That's the work of racing is the, is the pitch and getting the money. So I'm more fortunate than most. Right. I, the easy part is on track. Yeah. You know, the hard yeah. part is just getting there. Yep. So, you know, I'm more fortunate than most. You know, you have some guys where their dads were F1 drivers or IndyCar drivers, and that makes it a little bit easier. Um, you have the guys that just do have the money and they can write the check, whatever the case sure. is. Um, and then you you have you know the guys that have nothing and never had anything and are just digging as hard as they can. But so my fortunate situation, my dad being a motorsports broadcaster now and becoming pretty successful in his line of work, made a lot of relationships along the way. But at the end of the day, it was he was still he's still learning as well, and he is my biggest. I don't even want to call him my manager 
best friend, everything. Just supporter, He's, yeah. We're on the phone every single day, two, three, four times a day. S- still, sometimes. still today. It's st- this morning. Yeah. Um, every every single day, we're on the phone trying to figure it out. So, so he's made a lot of relationships, and relationships can only get you so far. Um, so we start sending in, you know, and we got some help through the carding stuff. Oh, you know, here, here's a little bit of help and, and some really good companies along the way that have stuck with me. Like Lucas oil has been with me since day one. Right. Yeah. Um, and supporters of not just me and my motorsports, but my dad's career and everything along with it. So, um, through their, you know, Lucas oil's relationship and becoming happy that expands into other companies that they're partners with. We had rockstar energy on board for uh, a couple years, E3 right. spark plugs. And then, you know, some companies, oh, we've got to go back to our investors, so we can't we can't help out anymore. So we have bounced through different companies along the way, but the biggest thing is you need TV time. You need the TV time. TV so at time. the end of the year, we're always trying to keep up with the Joyce Julius reports, sure. sending in all the updates about the amount of TV time that we're able to get. Um, and now, you know, social media is becoming a huge thing, and I'm horrible with it. For 26 years old, I should be way better. <laughs> yeah, um, you should. <laughs> so, yeah, so, um, which is why I'm here. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so there's a lot of different things on that end of it, but we try to get proposals in typically around the September time, which is incredibly difficult to right. do. But, but uh, sorry, I'll just back up for a second, but TV time for you guys and your sponsoring supporters, that has been what they like to see. That's and now is that, is that because it's measurable and you can put a dollar amount on it? And these Joyce Julius reports that show, Hey, you, you got you interviewed 12 times this season yeah. and you had X amount of, you know, you had five minutes of TV time with the rock star energy or the Lucas oil energy logo visible. Um, and so for, for, you know, those of you who may be listening that, you know, have never seen a Joyce Julius report, it's basically, it's a breakdown at the end of a race weekend of every single sponsor mention. Um, if, you know, if, if Rob was leading the race and the camera was on his car for, you know, five minutes, yeah. you know, Joyce Julius is this agency that goes through and says, okay, for those five minutes, the, the Lucas oil logo was visible and they can, you know, they've got a, a way to crunch the numbers and say, yes, you know, they put a value on it. Yep, exactly. So that, and so, the so easy I, way I always say is if you were going to buy a 30 second commercial. Right. And time, that's, a, that's right? how the money is. That's how their value is based. It's an easy way to think about it. Right. So if we get that Lucas oil sticker on TV for 30 seconds, <laughs> great. That's equivalent to who knows what they would have paid for a commercial. commercial you know, if they yeah. hypothetically gave me a hundred thousand dollars and they pay, you know, uh, 50,000 for a commercial. Okay. Well, I, I, we, for example, 2010, got a lot of TV time. If I remember correctly, we were like the, uh, between all classes, touring car, GTS, GT, uh, we were the fifth most, uh, mentioned car, uh, or mentioned driver, yeah. right on the fifth most mentioned driver. Uh, we gave mm-hmm. our investors, our, uh, sponsors over six times their in- return so, on yeah. investment. So it's all about return for, yep. for them and justifying the spend. Absolutely. And so. So winning races and getting TV time and showing well, up. it all adds up and it's, it's super important to, you know, to your program. How, you know, how do you go about getting attention when you maybe have a car? Like, I'm sure you've never had this problem, a car that is not competitive Yeah, or no, that never happens to sports car racing <clears throat> or, you know, has mechanical issues that's, or, that's you know, part, we right? have, we have, we all have these seasons, right? Where we, you go into the season with the best of intentions and, and the highest of hopes, but you, sometimes you don't know what you've got until you get there. And yeah. so how do you, how do you at that point then go, okay, we, we have a duty to our sponsors and, and an obligation to, Hey, if we, if, if we can tell at race one, man, this is going to be a rough season. Yeah. You know, you still have to find a way to, to get return 
you got to keep on your investment. Got to keep the people happy that are, that are yeah. helping you get there in the first place. So, um, and I'll tell you, jumping ahead just a little bit, 2013, 14, we did get back with Scion. They brought out the Scion FRS. My dad and I were like, awesome. We're going to run our own program. Uh, we don't want to hear the excuses of, well, this is why this didn't go this way, or this is why this didn't get done. We're going to do it all in house ourselves. So, so at that point, you feel like we've got enough experience. We've been at this long enough. Exactly. We can do this. Yep. We know the things that we get frustrated with as an arrive and drive uh, person and programs so um, let's do it ourselves and let, let's see what we can get done and that car was still to this day probably one of the best uh, most well-built vehicles of all time Eric Arms and Mark Knupp uh, who had a long relationship with Freedom and actually the current global MX-5 Cup car designs uh, Freedom Auto is what you're talking about the, yes yep. yes um, so those guys came on board they, they built the whole car it was awesome. Uh, we did everything. My dad and I were driving the semi from North Carolina to Long Beach for the races. So this is 2013? 2013. And, we and this is the Scion that you ran in GTS, right? Correct, or, in GTS. Yeah. yeah, and that was the big issue is people were going, well, well, why don't you run that car? It's a touring car. Why don't you run it touring car? And it is a touring car, no doubt about it. It's a little four-cylinder right. uh, vehicle, lightweight. So the issue was at that time, World Challenge had taken touring car away from the Long Beach Grand Prix, away from, if I remember correctly, Streets of St. Pete, Toronto, a few of these races, yeah. whatever they were at the time, touring car wasn't in the big show and less TV time. So, of course, Scion and Lucas Oil and all these companies, when we go to Long Beach, that's that's the race they're most excited about. We're going to have our factory Scion FRS in the in the Toyota Right, and at that uh, point, Grand Toyota was based... Right here right, in Southern right California, there. right right near Long Beach. Yeah. Right, so it's okay. And we wanted to be there too, of course. So we're going GTS racing. That's what we're going to do with it. And it's fine. We're going to get the supercharger. We got TRD built and offered a supercharger to the public, uh, courtesy of World Challenge Rules, right? It has to be a, a part available so that, to the public. So that was the workaround. That was a great so, so, talk yeah. about a story there. So uh, why was that supercharger kit developed for you guys, essentially? Yeah, so that was, uh, it was developed for the public. Let's be clear here. Right. Sorry. Um, for the public, for you know, available for purchase at any Toyota dealership, I'm sure. Yes, it absolutely was. So if you wanted to get one, you absolutely could. If I remember correctly, it was one of these like was, homologation deals. It, it was $30,000 to buy the supercharger. <laughs> Minimum order How? of two. It voided all warranties and you got no help with development, but you were absolutely able to buy one to put on your $24,000 Scion FRS. How many um, did they sell? <laughs> Um, I believe the only four ever made were, <laughs> were sitting on, in our on shop. your truck, yeah. your race truck. Yeah. yeah so that was, um, but really cool, right? That, I mean, that was the kind of support we had, and it was a TRD supercharger. Um, there is, of course, being the first kind for that car, there was things we were that we found that we wish would have been better. It wasn't an ideal supercharger for what we needed, but it got the job done. We couldn't make any torque was our biggest issue. So. Hmm. Even if we could turn a halfway decent lap time, man, we just didn't have the torque. We went through transmission changes. The series basically said uh, when we asked to change the engine, we said, man, they've got a, a turbo, uh, uh, the EJ engine for the STI. The STI motor, It's a right. developed engine. They'd been running in. in well, so how long, how long did you time. spend with on the supercharger project before saying, look, this just we isn't going to work? Yeah, we ended up spending all 2013 on it, and we didn't want to run it from the start before the supercharger was even developed. We said, hey, let us dump this turbo EJ engine in here, and we're going to be good to go. The series said, no, that is a Subaru engine. You guys are running a Scion. 
which for anybody that's ever looked under the hood of a Scion FRS, it's it got Subaru badges all over it. It is Subaru across it's the made, top of the yeah, engine. Yeah. Um, so and that, I mean, you, what you change the bumpers and a couple decals and it is a, a BRZ. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I had an FRS and I remember popping the hood and seeing all the Subaru, Subaru stuff panels, everywhere. Subaru it's a engine. Subaru engine, right. But we had it homologated but, as a Scion. That's what it was under the rule book. So is what sure, it is. They so, said, basically show us that it's not going to work. Um, and we did an excellent job at that. It didn't work all year. Uh, I don't remember how many engines we went through, at least five or six engines. Um, it was a struggle. So we And it's were, not as if it was competitive and you just were blowing up engines. It was right. a struggle. It didn't have the pace and it was unreliable. So Correct. it was like yeah, it was, the it worst, was everything. Of, worst of both worlds. So we drove, my dad and I drove a semi all the way from North Carolina to Long Beach Grand Prix. Uh, we were pumped about it unloaded which that's a, a huge event when you have to actually do the setup and do everything move everything in the semi oh, yeah. is a mile away and we went out immediately blew up the engine in practice if i remember correctly oh <laughs> and hey, did you have time to do any testing with it i mean what, what was no, the that, that was the biggest part is we were trying because we didn't have the money to do testing we were rebuilding a car in our off weeks and then we're showing up to the track trying to develop yeah. and then we're fixing and rebuilding developing at the race so it's so so sign results and so Sion was supporting you guys, but not not enough to really do it right. right. They were saying, hey, we'll help. Hey, we'll build you the supercharger. Sion was really helpful. They gave us a lot of product. Mm -hmm. they, they helped us financially. They did a lot of different things that they could on the backside. But at the end of the day, yeah. Sion's sitting there going, you know, we're not Toyota. We don't have a Toyota NASCAR-style budget to work with. Right. They're doing their best to help out. And they did. I mean, they, they gave us more support than we've really gotten from anybody in that program. Lucas Oil's still helping out and a lot of other companies. Um, so it was good, but really difficult to try. I mean, it's it's four hundred thousand dollars to try to run one of those deals if you do the testing of, and development and everything. We yeah. just didn't have that. So sure. Um, so we did a lot of work, and, and, and you're up against. So j just to be clear, I mean, this is GTS. So you've jumped from racing against RX8s and Honda Civics in in a car that probably should be racing against those kind of cars. Right. So now you're trying to pump more power out of that car so that it's competitive against what Porsche Caymans and Aston Mustangs Martin, and Aston Camaros. Martins. Uh, yeah, you you name it. We're we're going against V8s, so yeah. it was it was hard to get the torque with the supercharged engine. The following year, um, they allowed us the EJ, the turbo EJ. We were awesome, jacked. Um, went out, and now okay, now we're turning some decent, really decent lap times. We actually have a car that is up to speed, um, or at least pretty close. But now we ran into overheating issues and the location of the turbo, the way that the engine sits down in the car. Sure. So we can only keep it going for so long. Um, and that's the same thing. Now we're, we're blowing up engines because we're overheating them. Um, and, and again, this is just la lack of development time and trying to do the, the yeah, most with so, what you had. So the whole, yeah, exactly. And now the whole point of this is, so how do we keep everybody happy? How do we, how do we keep everyone happy and jacked up about this? Um, so now we're doing videos, we're bringing people out. We're trying to do, um, interviews with people. I, I did get, you know, the series did a, did a really good job. Probably World Challenge does do an awesome job on their end with media, uh, trying to interview people, whether you're running for first or whether you're back competing for 15th. Uh, World Challenge always did a really good job with that and showing up to the big events, showing up to Long Beach alone, the amount of people that are walking through the paddock that see uh, the signs that we'd spend hours hanging banners all over our trailers and tents and everything along with it. Um, you got to sit down and crunch the numbers and add all that stuff up. So, okay, maybe I'm not on the podium, but look at what we did do. Look at all the people that walked through our tent. Look at all the people um, that we handed out uh, cards and information to about Scion, about Lucas Oil. Right. Um, and all the, the dealerships that we're showing up to, putting the car on display. 
Um, so, so, so there are other ways to leverage it rather yeah, than so, just the TV time. And, and you've got to get creative at that yes, point. You re- yeah. That's when you realize, okay, this is, this is a lot more than just trying to get a check and go out and do well and go back home and hang out. It's now right. this is a full-time job. And while we're doing all this, my dad being the team owner, he still has his own career. You, you forget about it from time to time. Like, oh my God, right, he's no still, we just got my mom at home and, and everything that he should be thinking about retirement. And instead we're trying to think about how we're going to figure out how to get to the race this yeah. next weekend. Um, because now we've been just <laughs> fallen so deep into it. That's it. We don't know any, any different. Right. Um, and that's kind of led me to, okay, now I'm getting older. I need to get out of dad's house. Right. You know, now I'm, I'm couch hopping at this point. I'm trying to get in with other race teams. I'm, I'm going down to Florida uh, where the sun is always shining and trying to, to meet people down there. And I eventually got in touch with, uh, I believe it was Mike McGovern, actually, um, who was doing some racing in GS there with Jim Click there for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, really nice guy. And uh, he's the chief instructor down at the Bondurant uh, Driving School. Uh, so of course I, I made the phone call and he said, when can you start working? I said, I said Monday and I drove from Indianapolis, packed my car, drove down to Phoenix with no place to live or anything. Um, because I was like, awesome. I'm going to get to drive cars every single day. Whenever I'm not at the racetrack. Yeah. Like, um, like even if I don't get paid, I, I'm getting I, to, I did it. I don't it's even like, think it's I free testing. Pay it's, me. it's free. <laughs> right. <laughs> so 20 years old, I'm done. I'm in, yeah. let's go. Um, at the time, met some really good mm. friends of mine that are still competing. And literally within the first week, I was uh, I was staying in a house somebody had. They'd purchased in, in the downfall in 08. They bought it for cheap and with the intentions on reselling it when the market comes back to life. So somebody was letting me squat basically for, for a little bit. And I got a phone call from uh, Pat Bondurant, Bob's current wife. And she said, hey, I've got another guy, Tommy. I've got Kanan O'Connell who's Johnny O'Connell's son. Like these guys just moved down here. Ironically, within the same, like two weeks, as <laughs> we, me. we tricked them to come move here too. <laughs> yeah. And none of you have anywhere to live. So how about you three all get together? And I literally sat down with, uh, with Kanan at the time, shook his hand, said hello. And we went and signed a lease on an apartment within three hours of meeting one another. Um, <laughs> turned out all three of us ended up becoming still this day, some really close friends. So, um, it was really cool. Great opportunity. Got me into the instructing, uh, field outside of racing, right? There's the kind of the race coaching and, and looking at data and things of that nature. But what I learned a lot from the Bondurant side and the school teaching was uh, mm. speaking better, right? Standing up in front of people, sure. Presenting, um, pres- yeah. presentations, and even some of the basic stuff that I already knew as a racer, just pounding it into other people's heads or trying to find ways, okay, how do I describe this, what I feel to this person uh, helped me Going right. back and describing that to an engineer, maybe right? Okay, sure. how do I describe? How to learn to say the same type? thing ten different ways that it makes sense? Exactly, to, exactly. To do, so know, that yeah. was the biggest help there, um, and that that was it. That was the nine to five that signed me up for. Now the hard part is, okay, how do I do I mean, enough of this to pay for my place to live? But I still want to be at the racetrack. Still have enough time. Day. That that balance of you know you're not you're not sleeping in your parents basement and spending a thousand percent of your time on on the racing right. now it's this balance between adulting having having a job you know uh, wanting to do well for the place that you work 
<clears throat> but also saying, hey, look, I, you know, I've got to live. I've got to make money. And, I, and the, oh, by the way, the whole reason I'm here is because I want to race. Yeah. Because th- this, is, th- this is priority and one. And that's what I fall back into, right? Because it's so easy yeah. to fall into the, uh, get your head so wrapped around the instructing world mm-hmm. around, oh, this is better for the business. Or how do I do better for, for this school? And, and I do want to make it better. And I want to be good at everything I do. But every now and then I sit back and go, oh, yeah, what? Uh, why am I so concerned about going to do this teen safety school when the whole reason I'm in this line of work and didn't go to college in the first place is because I want to be at the racetrack racing. Yeah. So every now and then I got to step back and go, oh, yeah, I don't I don't want to adult too hard. I want to go back to the racetrack, <laughs> right. which is where I belong. So and that's that's led me into into some different paths along the way, which eventually did bring me out to California at the Thermal Club working with BMW. Um, that helped take me to a new level on my instructing capabilities, some new stuff, um, just more professionalism in the, sure. in the instructing industry. So, so working for you know, the BMW Performance Center, which you, know, you and I work out there together as well. And it's kind of, it brought it all full circle because you know, we didn't talk about this before, but when you came through Skip Barber, it's your three-day racing school. I was your instructor. Yes, we skipped out on that whole story. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, that was kind of, whenever we do our introductions out at BMW, that's that's my big joke claim to fame is I taught you everything you know because yes. I taught your first racing school. Meanwhile, it, this was like my first year of instructing Yeah, you know, was, out of, out of being a, a racer. I was trying to learn how to heel-toe downshift whenever I came through and I, worked with you. I knew I, nothing. I remember that, and, and it was I – mean, it's just funny that now, like you, know, you stay in this industry for for long enough, and it's such a small industry that, like you and I are now coworkers out yeah. at at BMW uh, Performance Center West, out at the Thermal Club, and you know, so so maybe talk about for a second. I'm, I'm interested the difference between you know Bondurant, you know, a racing school yeah. that that is tied to you know at, uh, at the time was GM. I don't know if, even if it yeah, still is, yeah. um, but. Uh, uh, versus working for you know, BMW, the performance center, essentially, you know, directly for a manufacturer, uh, yes. driving facility. Yeah. That's the great thing. I loved the Bondurant school. Some of the most fun times I ever had was at Bondurant and they are still, their primary goal is a racing school. Right. It's that's cons- the great thing about based, Bob still yeah. being there. They've been there for, I think over 50 years now, the school has been around. So talk about a school that's been through hard and, and uh, hard times and good times. Uh, so they're still focused on racing. That's a Bob, Bob's old school. He still wants to race. He'll still teach you not to drive over the curbs, even though we're in 2018 and the cars have <laughs> great suspension. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, it was still racing school. It was still passing. There's no radios in the cars. It's old school. It's hand signals. You got students passing other students. Um, which was a really, really cool part about it. Now I start getting more into it. I'm, I'm getting better at the job itself. But there's certain things where, you know, presentation wasn't a main priority for the school because it's what they, it's not what they were selling. It wasn't their selling point was presentation. Our selling point is we're going to have you racing on a track, making passes on other people by the time you right. leave here. Um, so now I jump ahead over and then we start learning the financial end of things and the differences and, and where you're living and what, okay, what, what it does a rate instructing in this industry go for. And you start looking out at other different, other opportunities. Um, you start realizing that, yes, you can get paid for this. I, you you can. should get paid for yes, this. Yes, as a matter of fact. Right. Yeah. So now I hear about the Thermal Club was honestly the biggest selling point for BMW. I'm not a diehard BMW guy. I love them. I appreciate the brand. And I've since then learned to, um, you know, how good of a product it is. But it wasn't what I came there for. I, I came there because I was like, this place, the Thermal Club, very wealthy members, cool cars. That's what I want to be around. I need to be surrounding myself around these types of people. And then I heard BMW is going to be going there. So I made some phone calls. Um, 
like you said, it's a small community, so it didn't take me very long to figure out who was in charge of this deal. Yeah. And within two weeks, I came out. We went through the instructor training, and I immediately signed on. I'm in full time. And you were Let's there, full time instructor at BMW Form, and this was from day one because it the yes. performance center out west here at, at uh, in California. It's only a few years old. It just hit the three year mark. Yeah, so when year. we went there, it was all dirt. There was nothing. Yeah. I didn't even know what the building was going to look like. Um, so of course I signed on immediately. Yep. I have no idea what the future <laughs> holds. Let's do it. I'm in. Yep. Uh, so that was cool to be a part of the growth of it, which is where I learned a lot of stuff being a part of, you know, the, the, the Germans and BMW have their way of how they want things to be done. So that was a cool part. Okay. Now there is no winging it. I just do it my way. It's, Hey, here's how we do things. Here's yeah. how we want these exercises to be taught. Here's the highlights of the vehicle that we want shown. Um, and you had to get certified yeah. at, to, to be a full-time BMW performance center instructor. You had to actually get certified and there's a couple different levels of certification. Yeah. As I understand, I, I me, you know, I, I'm part-time out there. I work out there a little bit. Um, but you know, I'm, I don't have these certifications, you know, talk about, uh, tell me about that process a little bit, because you know, from what I understand, it's pretty intense. It's, it's like they grueling. send you overseas for a couple of weeks and like they judge you really harshly on all, I mean, all kinds on, of, what did you, what did you go through to get all of it. So, certified as a, a BMW instructor? Yeah. So they, so they say, yeah, you're we're, we're sending you to Germany, man. You're going to get a, a German trip all paid for all this stuff. All expenses was, paid German vacation, <laughs> German vacation, German beer. So I was in, I was pumped. Um, did go over to Germany, had a lot of fun, and I learned a lot there. Uh, for example, we went in, we did some introductions. Uh, we're at Mizak, the BMW uh, kind of uh, perform uh, the Munich Performance Center for BMW. So we're there. It's actually an old World War II uh, air air force base of some sorts, or at least it used to be. All kinds of hangars and stuff around that they've turned into this performance center. So they go right off the bat. Is it a performance center the way that that? It, it exists here in the it States is, or is yeah. it a training center? Yeah, it, it is a performance center. They hold programs there for people okay. to come out, um, but not quite the racetrack, more on the safety car control side of things. Very functional facility, not pretty, but functional. Uh, so we go out, they kind of go over what we're going to be doing. And so 23 days we were there for, and right off the bat, they say, who wants to run this first exercise? All you got to do is run everyone through the slalom. So myself, there's uh, myself and one other American there from BMW. We have two people from uh, India, two people, a guy from China, a guy from Japan, uh, people from Germany, Italy. We had people from all over the world. So it almost became like the uh, instructor Olympics. Because <laughs> the United Nations the Olympics. In yeah. Car. yeah. Um, so, of course, everybody. So it gets a little competitive. As, as usual. So I can't we had imagine. A, had a ton of fun with that. And they said, who wants to run this first? So all the other instructors that are there for training, they have the German instructors training us. So we'll be all prepared. Right. So Train all trainers. our students, which I'm a student at the time, are in the cars. And I say, of course, first when I raise my hand, like, yeah. I, I got it. No problem Came at on. all. I've done this a thousand times yeah, before give me that walkie talk the wrong way let apparently me, yeah let me put my cowboy hat on and show you how it's done so <laughs> uh i i grab the walkie talkie run them through i go through seating demos here's how you want to sit in the car i go through oh yeah move your seat a little bit here this then that drive them around pull off i'm coaching them have them swap with their passengers i go through the whole nine it's all done do my closing i follow the seven steps that they have of running an exercise and the German instructor asked everyone else, they say, do you have any input on the way he just ran that? And everyone's sitting around. I think half of the class was sitting around going, oh, my God, is that what we have to do? Because uh, <laughs> like, you feel, You're feeling like, man, I, I nailed it. I nailed it. I crushed it. I nailed it. And a lot of these guys don't do full-time instructing. They've only done it a time or two. So um, 
a lot of people are in awe, like, oh my God, this guy's got pretty figured out. Not to mention I had an advantage because it's in English <laughs> and this is a second language to everybody else. Sure. I get done and this is literally all, all this happened within 25 minutes probably. And this German instructor had a full notebook page full of things I did incorrectly. Whenever you went to the car, uh, you were looking down through the window at the participants. You never look down on somebody. You squat down, you get at eye level. Uh, you take your sunglasses off whenever you speak to somebody. You never have participants look at the sun. You stare at the sun. Uh, I mean, you name it. You had the first driver in for 12 minutes and 50 seconds, and the second drivers only drove for 11 minutes and 7 seconds. They got an uneven amount of drive time. And they just blew me apart. And I was like, oh, my God, we are in for a gnarly This is day days. one of 2023. Yeah, yeah. So that <laughs> turned into written tests from product knowledge, how you should uh, portray yourself as a BMW instructor, um, the physics of the vehicle under certain situations, driving tests through cone-based exercises, driving on racetracks. And this is all just level one. We went back for level two, which is just everything on a more elevated level, higher speeds, uh, the Salzburg ring. Um, so everything was just taking another step forward. But uh, so they, I mean, they evaluate your, your instructing skills and your presenting skills. I mean, was talk about the, the driving Evaluations, because obviously, I mean, you had to do some driving, and you had to show them that, hey, not only can I talk about this, but I, I can also do it, right? Yeah. That, from one, excuse me, from what I've heard, the driving uh, evaluations were just as difficult, if not more difficult, than the, the yeah the, instructing the, evaluations. Yes, yeah, the speaking is one thing. Now you got to get into the car, and okay, we we have to see. And at the test for the instructors, it was, for example, a lane change, or you have to no braking. High-speed maneuver through a set of cones uh, and a fairly narrow gap. It's hard. I mean, it's still to this day. I've done it a million times, and I still got to be on still, up on my game a little bit. Yeah. Like, oh, God, I better not hit a cone after three years of this. <laughs> um, so you have to nail it. Or you get four shots, and you get points, right? If you get three points, if you do it correct. Um, and you have to be within two mile per hour of the requested speed or two kilometers an hour, whatever the case is. Uh, and you go through a handful of different ones from slaloms, lane changes, out on the racetrack, uh, the ideal line where the, they are following you around the track. And it was, uh, it's hard. And it's, I went through, it was a rainy day. It was kind of drying up. And I had one exercise through my B2, my, my second level training. I just bombed it. I might as well not even showed up <laughs> for whatever reason. I nailed it for two weeks straight in practices. And then come test time, I just, it just didn't happen for whatever reason. Uh, me and my co-driver at the time. Uh, so after wiping out all the cones in that exercise four times in a row, I was, um, fired up to say the least. And I, I nailed it through the rest of them. So it didn't matter, but, uh, it was hard. And now we do the ideal driving. It's not about timed. It's about, you know, smooth transitions, it's not technique. hitting the curves. It is technique. Exactly. Yeah. At a, at a good speed, um, near the limited grip of the tires. So we do that. Well, of course we got guys from, from Finland and, uh, we had a eight, uh, eight was he eight time four times supermoto world champion and he was a 10 year red bull athlete uh we had a motocross euro motocross champ we had um rally drivers from finland uh so we had these are all, all instructors that are going through this training with you, you going mean? through this training with me right so they're being critiqued as well so now we're all in pit lane waiting for our turn one by one to go out and get critiqued on the ideal line around the salzburg ring so, of course, we all pull out our stopwatches and we're seeing where everybody's at. <laughs> so this almost immediately turns into, well, beers tonight are on whoever, you know, goes the slowest right. out of everyone, right? So so now we're betting on who's going to turn the fastest lap time. And by the time we're done, which is the most important, you get the most points for this exercise. Now we've got guys out there that are just jumping Blasting curbs, curbs, dropping yeah, wheels, 
all yeah. over the place because all we're concerned about is who's going to lose this bet over beers tonight. <laughs> um, and all of us are just significant. Nobody aced this deal, which should have been the easiest thing for professional drivers to nail the proper driving line. Um, and we were just going for it so hard that, that we're sliding the car power sliding out of corners, things like that. So we immediately started off at a, at a deficit. Um, <laughs> worth it though. Yeah, totally worth yeah. it. Um, but man, a ton of fun. And just coming back from all of that, it was, man, this is cool. It's, is it a racing school? It's not a racing school. Um, it is right. a high performance driving school. Uh, and they are showcasing what BMWs are capable of doing. But I wish you could combine the two. I loved the racing, the uh, laid back, man, we're going to let you guys do some passing on one another. Sure. Really go for it. Allow you to feel comfortable on a track by yourself. Yeah, but and combine I mean, the, that with the professionalism of what a manufacturer expects out of you. Yeah, because I, I think with a, a brand like BMW, and I, and I agree um, that 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 kind of overlap would be hugely rewarding for you know the both the instructors and the the, the clients, the consumers. But I think you know the BMW Performance Center caters to the everyday BMW driver who wants a taste exactly. of the ultimate driving machine. In, in the environment that's appropriate for that. Yeah. Uh, now, that being said, I know you and I both have worked out there a bunch with, you know, guys and girls who come through the program. And you're like, holy smokes, this person's got it. Yeah. Like they they have some skills. And it's, it's you know, I know we've talked about this before. I wish we had some race cars. I wish we had like, yeah. like the expert, the advanced level course to say, hey, come back and we'll get you signed off for racing. Exactly. Um, and and, and, and I'm, I'm hopeful that at some point, um, you know, the powers that be will, yes. will figure that out and, and, and combine that. Cause I think, you know, BMW being such a motorsports oriented kind of European brand, you know, competing against Porsche competing against Audi. I mean, you know, motorsports is a big part of, of how all these brands compete against each other. Um, and so I think that the performance centers that BMW has invested here in the States, um, there's, there's huge opportunity and there's huge yeah. value already in, in what they do. Absolutely. Um, Especially with the facility that they've got at their fingertips there at yeah, no that kidding. thermal is, is an excellent one. So it'd be cool to see that, you know, because you get people and let's, hey, let's do some private work through BMW still. Let's do some private one on one coaching. Uh, yeah, you, kind of some, some off menu type of, of stuff. I mean, that, that's what a lot, a lot of people don't realize. And, you know, I, I've even taken some of my private coaching, you know, race clients to say, hey, look, you know, we need to work on some car control stuff. And so um, we do kind of a, a private deal through the BMW Performance Center right. uh, to say, hey, look, you know, you've got some experience. And, uh, and let's come in basically just, it's you and me, we're in an M3 and we're going to go on skid pad and then we're going to go on the big track and then we're going to, you know, yeah. we can kind of custom build a program for people like that. It's still not quite a racing school. Um, yeah, but, but there's it is, a lot you cool can do that, with that them. We have right? that opportunity. And then you yeah. get the guys where they've come back and they've done that five, six, seven times. And it's, they're going to, well, what's next? What's the next step? And it's okay. Well now we get, you need to get into a proper car you need to get yeah. into a proper track car. Right. And that's a, that's a big stepping stone to get into. And then it all circles back around to where we started this, which is how do you get into racing? Do you go to a skip barber? Do you find a team that's, that's renting out vehicles just to go have some fun on a track yeah. day? And the circle recontinues over and over and again. That's that's the interesting part of it is that you know no two people approach this the same way. Sometimes I mean, like you know, especially the the gentleman drivers, the people who don't start young in go karts and and take you know quote unquote the path. I mean, go karts right. is one way to get into it if you're if you're there at a young age. But then you know, I I coach people who you know their their first ever race was in a Ferrari challenge car yeah. because they're Ferrari people. They, they own the cars that that's what they're the brand they're passionate about. And so when they talk about racing, you know, or they're, they're at the dealer ordering their next street car, 
they say, hey, oh, man, I've, I've heard about this for our challenge thing. And and boom, they get shoved into one of the fastest. Yeah, and, and the manufacturer is now helping create a little bit of a path for them to right. get involved in the industry. And, it, and it's great, but it, it's it's funny because it's like, man, you know, we talk about this you know, so much. It's like we wish we could you know, go back and, and kind of, you know, uh, mold these people and, and give them, you know, start them at a bit of a, a slower, smaller level yeah. and then build them up into, Fer- you know, Ferraris or Lamborghinis, Super Trofeo or whatever these, you know, yeah. the, these series end up being. Um, and so I, I think, you know, as, as coaches and as mentors and as people who, who know the industry well enough, um, you know, we, we have a certain, you know, responsibility or certain duty to say, Hey, look, you know, um, if you're coming into this, if, if you have a, a client or, or, or somebody you meet who says, how do I do this the right way? You know, and it's so rare. It's so yeah. rare that somebody comes to you and says, okay, I want to do this. Tell me how to do it the right way. Yeah, start by writing so, a million dollar check out to Robert Stout. <laughs> we're gonna get well, you in a car. Well, we're gonna we're gonna do this. But but, but yeah. well, no. But what I mean is 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 so many times you get you get people that uh, that you know come to motorsports or racing uh, at an at an older age when they've made some money and they can afford to do it themselves and they say, I want to race Porsches. That's yeah. what I want to do. Yep. And and they start here rather than going. I want to race and I want to be good. Yeah. What what do I need to do? Which is essentially going back to you know uh, treating it like a child. Yeah, let's get you, you in a Miata. Right, let's get you in a go kart. Let's get you in a Miata. Let's get you in something slow and and hard to drive fast and all about momentum. And you know, uh, so few people really take that approach of how do I do it the right way? And, and it's it's so much of you know I want to race Ferraris or I want to race yeah. I, I want to race the twenty four hours a day Tona. Yeah, it's so difficult to tell and a guy like, who's, who's in his fifties and sixties that right. Has well, it's going to take Porsches you half a decade to get to where you're really properly ready to be there. Yeah. But okay, let's let's figure it out in three months. You want those people in the industry, the people yeah. that are hungry and go, this is awesome. I want to figure this out from the start. Yeah. Let's figure it out. Exactly. Uh, and I want to be able to accomplish this one day. I want to be able to drive that car and know what I'm doing and be able to take advantage of it. So yeah. um, as a coach, that that's a super rewarding thing to, to do. And as an instructor, even, you know, who you know, and, and there's there's a big difference between instructor and coach. Yes, and I think that's absolutely. that's a that's a whole other long conversation uh, to, to talk about that. But, you know, as an instructor, you, you see people that come through these BMW programs or bond around or skip barber or or any kind of driving program. And, you know, you, you see people who, man, you can tell right off the bat. This person, it, it's a miracle that they drove to the racing school this morning and and didn't get in an accident. Right. Yeah. And then there's the other side of it where you essentially you come across people who are like, man, this guy or girl gets it and they're on it and they may never ever drive on a track ever again. But to identify that natural ability and yeah. then to find the person who wants to to take it to the next level, that's that's a super rewarding thing as as a driving coach. Um, yeah. And so you know, for me, you know, most of what I do. Uh, these days, you know, making a living, paying my bills is, is as a coach, you know, I, the racing is still the passion. Racing is still the, the reason, like we talked about earlier, why I got into this, why I do it. And what I'm still super hungry for racing opportunities. And I'm, I'm, you know, constantly just like you, you know, working towards the next race ride. Right. Yep. But you know, the, the reality is that, that there's a big side of this industry that, um, that is all about coaching and driver development and whether it's at a racing school or, uh, you know, more specifically as a private driver coach, helping somebody develop, you know, their skill set, feel what the car is doing, working on data and video uh, and, and, you know, thank God for data and, video <laughs> yeah, and, no and kidding, for right? technology. Um, because 
you know, that again, a, a whole nother long conversation about, you know, right seat coaching. Um, yeah, and, and that being, and it's, it's as, the name of the game and some guys want it, but it, yeah, like you said, thank God, thank God for video. We, and, we can accomplish so much with, with video and data and, and, in you know, evaluating people's driving styles and, you know, finding opportunities to get faster, um, that, that right seating in these cars nowadays that are so unbelievably fast yeah. um, and, and safe for that matter. But, but still, you know, you take somebody who um, can only be so safe at 180 miles an hour. Yeah. yeah. And you take somebody who's got a limited experience and put them in an incredibly fast car that they're just thrilled to be a part of and, and thrilled to be there driving. And, you know, for them, it's, it's a, it's a learning experience. And for us to sit alongside them, you know, and I, and, you know, I still do a very limited amount of right seating, but it's with people I trust. Uh, it's, you know, like I said, this, we could get on a whole and other tangent yeah, about that, right seating. But, but, but the whole coaching is that's, and that's the next step, like for me to crack into now, right? I, I got into the instructing world. I got into Bondron. I've got uh, now over the years, a, a pretty good amount of race experience under my belt, you know, professional championships. And uh, then I stepped my instructing game up to the next level with BMW and okay, they've really taught me a professionalism, the professionalism of, of that industry. Um, been there through the development and the growth of that performance center for the past three years. And now for me, it's okay. I, I'm at that line of, do I continue adult adulting and paying my bills and really building a future here? I got to remember that racing is, is the main goal. So now I I've now made the jump, uh, to being back to part-time uh, with BMW. I stepped away from from the full-time contract because uh, I, I, I could barely just go race my one series last year and still maintain my work days. So um, now I, I've stepped out and it's, you know, I'm 26 years old. If I'm going to do it, now's the yeah. time. Back to that, I, I got to commit. Now's the time to do it. Now's the time to chase it. So I've gone back to trying to focus on getting more of the coaching, uh, teaching racecraft, teaching uh, the proper n- needs to get around a, r- a racetrack in a proper race car with slick tires and getting in right. a little bit more into the in-depth stuff as opposed to the make sure you're looking for the tall green apex cone. <laughs> that is the center of the turn, right? Right, so, eyes up. Eyes yeah, up. So, yeah, the, so trying the to break away instructing, from that, yeah. let's get more in-depth, get onto the coaching <laughs> side. So I, I freed up my schedule. I need to be more at the track. You know, and that's the hard part about chasing this is even if I'm not driving, you've got to be at the racetrack all the time. Yeah. And, um, Indy, you know, you see guys that randomly step into Indy cars, uh, because they're just at the racetrack every single event. Somebody broke their thumb last year. Zach Veach, uh, right at the beginning of the year, stepped in at Barber, uh, fully prepared and able, but had never run an Indy car race. Uh, Connor Daly's done it when Hinchcliffe got in, into his really bad wreck. Right. Um, so there's some little, little scenarios that happen, but you just don't, you don't get those opportunities. Your name doesn't stay in the hat if you're not always at the track. And I was at yeah. the point of, you know, I'm only at the track when I'm competing on my 10 weekends a year. I'm not going to make it off of that. It's, it's just, yeah. unless I'm always winning championships, I'm not, I'm not going to make it. So, um, you know, now I've, I'm running that risk of, you know what? I might struggle with my bills here for for a little bit, um, but I'm going to start coaching people that I want to really work with, spend time around, and and coach and make them better. Um, while at the same time focusing on on your racing and while giving me more time to be at the racetrack, <clears throat> right. and all of this ties in together. Being around these people that are at the racetrack and are opening new doors and meeting new people, um, and that's what it's all about: is meeting all these people and, and trying to yeah. find that that needle expanding your network. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and just hustling, I mean, committing to it. So, so, I mean, 
you, you, you've got a ride for this year yeah. again. So 2017 MX five cup rookie of the year. I think, I don't even think we mentioned that yet. Yeah. So congrats on that. It was P three overall in the championship, right? Yes. R- rookie of the year. So 2010, was it when you, you were the, uh, world, the challenge, world challenge touring car champion in the Scion? We, we talked about, you know, you, you went through this, phase where you guys ran your own car for a while, had some issues, mm-hmm. um, you know, in reliability with that. Yeah. You, know, you raced a few other things here and there. You had some GS racing going on. Um, you know, last year you decide, Hey, I'm, I'm going for the, the Mazda. I'm going back to, to Mazda. I mean, kind yeah. of back to the, the yeah. roots of you know, where you started of your, your original skip barber racing school. Yeah. And, and was that, I mean, was that, that Mazda money, that Mazda ladder, was that enough of a, of a pull? Um, yeah, that, to say, Hey, like, like this makes sense. Let's go take the support we have from, I mean, was it Lucas oil? I mean, who, who supported you last year yeah. and why'd you go do that? And yeah. So, so how'd you get to the rookie of the year? Lucas oil, um, was, was big on it and they were happy that I was going back into sports cars. I actually spent two years doing oval track racing, um, which I'll get into that here more in a moment, but, uh, Lucas oil, SC fuels, uh, impact race products were all, all the three, three people that were really, um, helping me go about getting into the Mazda MX-5 deal. But the whole reason for that, because at some point you got to check the ego a little bit because it's, man, I want to be in GS. I want to be in GT3. I want to be in these places where I have been there. I have run Rolex GT. I've done this stuff, and that's where I want to be. I don't want to be the MX-5 racer. But, again, you get to the point where it's, I need to start thinking long-term. Um, sure. I, I'd rather, and if Mazda's offering an opportunity uh, to win a two hundred thousand dollars scholarship, I've never come up with more sponsorship money than that before. Um, I feel that I, I think I can win the MX Five Championship, right? So, um, so that made sense. But I actually had an opportunity of, of one of the coolest opportunities I ever got in my life was to drive the Delta Wing at That's Road right. Atlanta a few years back. So, so yeah, how did that? I mean, that was a, it was a private test. Well, yeah, private. Was, test. was it a shootout type deal? Like, hey, you might be in for the ride if you do well, or how? Do, what was I mean, that all about? They they did dangle the you know if all goes well you know there might be an opportunity in the future, um, and the test didn't it didn't go bad it just didn't go as well as I would have liked I'd never driven I'd never driven a paddle shifted car um, I didn't, <laughs> so the, I'd never so the first up the neutral button I didn't know there was a neutral button right so the so first paddle shift race car you drove was the Delta Wing yes and I had never driven at Road Atlanta at this point either. I just for what, which everyone's like, how does that happen? How have you never driven at Road Atlanta? And I, every series I ran, I just dodged Road Atlanta somehow over the years. So I'd never been to Road Atlanta, never been. That was any, me with Road America for years and years. Yeah. But yeah. It's okay. Weird how that I, happens. I know what so, you mean. Yeah. Uh, never driven any prototype car, never driven an open wheel car. Um, all I'd driven is big, heavy sports cars. So I get into this thing and uh, did a, a three sessions, I think, two or, two or three sessions I got in the car. Um, this private days. You're the only car day, out Catherine there. Catherine Leg was out there driving with me at the time, and Gabby Chavez. Yeah, okay. uh, were the two two drivers out there alongside of me. And I ended up. You know, I was I was in the 16s, like 16 eight or something around around Road Atlanta. I'm in a 16, 16 eight. Okay, yeah. Um, and I was I, I whatever the deal was. I can't remember at the time. I was like eight tenths off my fast time to them. I was like eight tenths off of of Catherine and Gabby who had, who had been in the car for years. What was it like to drive track. that thing? I mean, forget honestly, about it, performance it, it, for a second, yeah, yeah. but like what, what, I mean, obviously the Delta wing 
very wild, freak unique nature car. Yes, type of design. I mean, it was it was initially proposed as an Indy car, yeah, yeah. Uh, replacement design for for the new Indy car. Obviously, wasn't chosen. Which I I was okay. Did I want Indy car to be those? No, I did not. But at the same time, I wonder what it would have been to watch thirty five of those things come <laughs> diving into turn one at Indianapolis. That would have been um, no comment. Interesting. <laughs> Um, so anyways, yeah, get the opportunity to go out and well, so, so how did that, how did that opportunity lap, come up, come about though? Like the, so Tim what was, Keen the was the team manager there and, yeah. uh, formed a relationship with him in our local town in Brownsburg, Indiana, where okay. there's so it's an, it's an Indiana relationship. Yeah. And he was nice enough. He was with Ganassi for a long time. And of yeah. course the, um, you know, well, am I going to bring Robert Stout out or Juan Pablo Montoya? Huh, I get stuff in the air. Um, so <laughs> yeah, Juan Pablo wasn't available. He's, yeah. So now he's like, hey, man, I got the opportunity to kind of give an opportunity to a kid that maybe deserves a chance to, to drive something like this. That's see what awesome. he can do. That's really cool to hear that that, that, I mean, that is, kind of thing happens. Still. That happens. It doesn't happen often, but yeah. apparently it does happen. So it was really cool, Tim Keen, uh, to do that. Still, thank you, Tim, um, for the opportunity. So do that and i realized after the first lap it didn't feel awkward at all inside of the car um the biggest thing was it i always say imagine driving an open wheel car with invisible front tires right if you you couldn't see anything besides the nose of the car that's what it was like driving that's what it it felt like yeah and it because of that it didn't feel because i always wonder like man where, where should the nose of the car be for the left rear to be down actually at the apex right are you like on the curb with the with the front bicycle yes. wheel and like the right rear is like in the dirt or? right so it would, and, you, and for that car you had to really make it a point to stay off of the curbs because everything was such lightweight components it would, it would they break things like crazy so they didn't want you curb uh, jumping at all gotcha. but um it actually came really really easily it was like driving a go-kart right or, or an open wheel car not being able to see the front end i mean you still know where the nose of your car is you still yeah. know primarily where you where you're supposed to be so um, a ton of fun. One of the coolest things I'd ever done, but I just, I wasn't consistent. I could turn a, turn a decent lap, but I couldn't do it every lap. I'd never been to road Atlanta and I'm pushing really hard. He kept coming on the radio going, take it easy. Take your time. Take your time. I'm like, I know how this goes. I'm not taking my time. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get there. So, right. um, walked away. I mean, happy all in all with, with yeah, the what a opportunity. Cool experience regardless of what happened. Awesome right? experience. So, um, but basically I walked away from there and I know the Delta wing is not a downforce car, but it, it drove, to be what I would consider like an open wheel car. It's a lightweight, fast cornering, braking at the absolute last possible second, popping back off the brake, letting that thing steer in. Completely the opposite of how a V8 Camaro drove or anything I had been driving before that. So I was unhappy with myself in the sense of that's the first time in a while I'd gotten into a car and been like, I don't know how to drive a car like this. That's quite like this level, the mm. prototype style of driving or open wheel style of driving. And you only had one day and a few sessions in it right. to wrap your head around it and just go. But my big thing is I walked away from there. What I ended up getting out of it as a personal goal was I need to, I want to learn how to drive a downforce car, a car where you can slam on the brakes the last possible second, pop off the brake, carry a ton of mid corner speed like I could on the Delta wing. Um, and that ended up taking me to wing sprint car racing, which is, Insane. Yes, that was the most insane thing so, I had ever done. And I, you've shown me some video of this, of some of your races here. I can honestly say I don't think I want to do that. I mean, like I think <laughs> I'd, I'd love to drive the car, yeah. but not like alone, testing alone right. with other. So, and I wish everybody had an opportunity to feel what one of those cars can do at full speed. But the racing is absolutely out of control. No spotters allowed. So no spotters. No allowed. mirrors. 
Uh, no mirrors, no, uh, you just have to like feel the other cars around you with the force. Like, how do you know if you can turn in or like full commitment? If you're going to make a pass, you better shove it underneath somebody, which is very difficult. And some of the tracks we're running, you can hold a 900 horsepower winged sprint car full throttle on pavement. Yes. On pavement. Uh, you can hold a 900 winged sprint car on a half mile track. We could hold it wide open all the way around in 12 second lap times. It's like an average of 152 miles an hour. So it's hard to stick it underneath somebody when they're holding it flat out, eight inches of stagger in the rear end, you're smoking the right rear tire. Um, it is everything that applies to driving a car smooth and one turn in and one turn out and just throw it out the window. I, I actually drove for Davey Hamilton, 16-year IndyCar veteran. Yeah. Uh, him and his son were, were, was my teammate. Um, and I remember doing one of these races and I was kind of getting getting frustrated with with where I was, you know, just couldn't qualify well. And I went out for a heat race and he said, everything that you know about driving sports cars and that smooth stuff, he said, absolutely throw it away. He said, bring that thing back on a record. Just go for it. Hang it out. And I'm like, you know what? I'm frustrated. Like, you know what? Yeah, screw it. I am going to go hang that thing out. I'm just going to go. I'm going to keep my foot in it. I'm going to smoke the tires and hang out the rear end do all this stuff. And that's probably one of the videos that you saw. I've got up on YouTube somewhere. Yeah. And and I destroyed everybody, just sawing at the wheel, holding on, it's picking up the left front tires, bouncing around and flopping everywhere. And, um, and it, you know, they're done to an extent. You know, there's obviously, there's a very unique way to drive that type of car. But I learned a ton in oval track racing. Sure. Um, if well, gotta, I mean, everything has to feel slow after that. Yes. And that was a big part, right? Like, I never want to feel like out of the Delta Wing, I was like, man, the Delta Wing's fast. I was like, I never want to feel like a car is fast again. I don't I don't want to get out of something and, and think, man, that felt fast like the Delta Wing did. Right. So, the, so the sprint car pretty much took care of that issue. I don't have that anymore. <laughs> um, that car was absolutely out of control, raw power. What, gotcha. what do they say? Over, over 6,000 pounds of downforce estimated from the wings, 900 horsepower, 1,400 pounds. Um, the cars are out of control. So, and then, and the people that you're so racing do against. Do you feel like you dodged a bullet by like racing those things and not really I having dodged a, a couple. I've got, I had some moments, man, right? I've sent the thing <clears throat> airborne and somehow would magically land back on all fours. I had a guy literally, uh, after, after a race at Evergreen, uh, he walked right. People walked around the leader, the winning car, uh, and walked up to my car and said, son, I never seen a sprint car fly that far and keep on driving. <laughs> um, so it was unbelievable. Um, some of the situations I got myself out of, but yeah, uh, there's no doubt. It's that is a, when is it going to happen? Kind of a thing like, like yeah. a motorcycle, man, those yeah, things that, are going to go over and go wrong sooner or later. My, my teammate at the time, Davey Hamilton jr. He had a huge impact this past year with the wall. Um, and he's been feeling it ever since. I think a lot of back issues and things like that. So, I mean, they are Do, do you feel like cars. mission accomplished with the sprint car and, like, yeah. don't need to do that anymore? Yeah, I, I would he- not hesitate to <clears throat> jump back in one and go do another race. But the big thing is there's no – unfortunately, and it's such a shame because it is one of the most insane forms of motorsports. And for those people who say racing is too safe these days and they need to go back and, and you know, it takes the, the man, if you will, out of uh, the racing – Go wing sprint car racing and uh, and tell me <laughs> not if the such an issue is over there, there. yeah. Uh, because I mean they do. I bet you there's at least one person a year that's still getting killed in sprint car oh, racing. Easy, so or paralyzed and all this stuff. So yeah, that is there is raw power racing. The most some of the most insane stuff against some of the most insane people. One of the best drivers I ever met in my life um, out there, 
Aaron Pierce is a total madman. <laughs> he's he's a good guy, a total madman, and there's no doubt, man, the guy can turn a lap. I think he set track records almost everywhere that we went, but I remember going down the straightaway for the first time, never driven these cars before. There's eight inches of stagger in the rear end, so I'm going down what was a long straightaway. It was like a five-eighths mile track, so when you're actually going down a straightaway in that car, you have to steer the car to the right because it wants to turn so bad to the left. So I remember doing that and it's jumping it right because it's slipping the right rear tire and it's jumping the rear end so violently, it's shaking my eyeballs out of my head. I couldn't even see where the track was hardly going. I come back in, I'm like, man, I said, I said, is it supposed to vibrate that much? Like is something loose in the rear end? Like I don't know what I'm supposed to be feeling in these cars. I'm like, is there something wrong? And I said, dude, I can barely even see going down the back straightaway. And the only response I got was, did it turn good? I said, well, yeah, I said, it turns fine. He said, well, there ain't shit to see in a straight line anyways. As long as it turns good, you're good to go. All right. All right. Like that's, that's the mentality well, when I'm you, going against. When you put it like that. Yeah, so it was um, wow. it was insane. And some <clears throat> fast, really fast guys. And I would say easy way to describe it is, you know, what's the most difficult part around going around a road course is getting through the turn, right? To simplify, getting through the turn as right. fast as you can. What form of racing spends the most time in a corner? I mean, oval track racing, it's so hard to be perfect right on the edge of that grip level for so long. And in sprint car racing, more times past that grip level. Um, but it, I learned a lot from that. I learned a lot from the downforce side of things and, and the high horsepower. So uh, there wasn't a big future there, though. There's not a lot of TV time in, in that in any oval track racing outside of NASCAR, really, these days. It's hard to find TV time. ARCA is now getting some of it back. But again, you're talking about well over a million dollars to get into an ARCA, uh, an ARCA ride and have a chance of getting up the NASCAR ladder. So yep. it's, it's a really difficult deal to get into. The sprint car racing was a good bang for the buck. Um, for the amount of power and learning experience you could get out of that. <clears throat> but wrapping all the way back around, that brought me back to the Mazda deal. We looked at running in IMSA lights, um, you know, the Mazda IMSA lights deal. So uh, we we talked to some some guys. We talked to John Doonan uh, from Mazda about their uh, prototype lights program and getting pricing on that. And the pricing still was a little bit out of our price range, but I wanted to get in now. That, okay, let's go. What, take what I learned, go to the open wheel style deal, a little bit of downforce, lightweight car, see if I can apply it there. Uh, and basically, I didn't have enough money. So, okay, but I can come up with enough sponsorship money for the MX5, Global MX5 Cup program. And if I can win there, I get $200,000. I can maybe now go afford that IMSA, IMSA lights ride or prototype lights ride. Um, so that brought me all the way back around and into the Mazda ladder. And okay, let's, let's, let's go what feels like a step back even though for anyone involved in sports car racing knows that there's nothing it's, taking a step back about MX five yeah, cup racing. Probably it's, some of the most competitive racing. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a spec series and, you know, granted that, that I think, you know, what people may not realize about spec series is there's still tuning on those cars. There's mm -hmm. still, you know, massaging. And, you know, I think that the team, um, if, if the team has a really good understanding of the car, it can make the difference in, you know, yep. eking out a couple extra tenths, um, in, in a, in a series where everything is supposed to be the same, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I think that's yeah. for, for some people that could be seen as a step back, but for, you know, for those of us who understand and, and have been around it and seen how competitive that series is, I mean, you know, so, so there's something to this whole idea that the Mazda's put out there of, Hey, offer up some money, create yeah. a really good product you know, the, the car, um, that is 
affordable. Yeah. You know, which you know, affordable, as affordable as that gets affordable and racing are two words that usually shouldn't or don't go together. Um, but for, for MX five cup for, for Mazda, I mean, this car and this series they've built, um, it still takes quite a bit of money to, to ship the cars across the country and, and yeah. to actually compete. But the hardware itself is, uh, is affordable. And, and this, this $200,000, um, you know, cherry on top. Yeah. yeah. If you win that, that's that, you know, guys like Todd Lamb, um, guys like uh, Selin Roland, who I don't know if you know Selin, but you know he's a Southeast racer who won the yeah, won the I, shootout. I think I'm about to know him this weekend. I think so too. Yeah. So so Selin, I've raced against him in Spec Miata. Um, he's going to be a, a. I think he's going to be a competitor for you this yeah. year. Um, you, you've got a lot of guys who've won the championship before in MX5, or who have raced at the pro yeah. level, or who you know who are really really good drivers. Um, and, and it, for some reason that the Mazda, you know, that, that formula, even at the club level, like the spec Miata That's world huge. is, is another great example of super pro level talent yes. uh, in the spec Miata field, both at the team and prep level and the driver level. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, without the budgets of pro racing, but you know, the guys who are winning spec Miata races and MX five cup races, um, are, are driving just as well as, as oh, any yeah. of the top pros. Yeah. I um, mean, so to win in that series really means something. I mean, and talk about competitive. If I remember correctly, they set out uh, the difference between first and second place combined for the entire year. They added the average finish between first and second place. In the championship? Um, uh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Like per race, right? Oh, so time-wise. Time-wise, yeah. the time between first and second place for majority of races was less than one-tenth of a second. And if you take every race, all 12 events from last season, uh, it was like 0.12 seconds was the difference between first the and second place on gap. average between yeah. all the races. Um, so it is unbelievably <laughs> competitive and and so hard. I mean, I was leading Road America last year at the white flag, which we all know is a... Whoops. Yeah, whoops. Um, and I didn't make, I made a move that I learned a lot from um, that Todd Lamb actually snookered on me. Um, but I went from from leading a large portion of the back half of that race. And I don't, I think I finished fifth or sixth or something. Um, so just all right there. And we were beating and banging. I mean, we had Brian Ortiz was airborne at one point, two turns to go, and he still finished in front of me. And um, it's absolutely <laughs> yeah. out of control, some of the racing. So to, so to show up there, I was really curious to see how I was going to do. I had a pretty good season all in all, some podiums, a couple wins. Uh, my teammate and I, my teammate had uh, yeah, the epic most season, yeah. dominating season that I've heard of in professional racing. Um, I mean, he only had one race, I think, where he did not finish on the podium. So yeah. just he he has incredible race craft. And Todd Lamb had a season like that a few years back where he, yeah. he won a bunch of the races and, and won his MX5 Cup championship. But you talk about you know, a guy, Todd has is, is driven everything. He's raced GT cars. Yeah. He's raced, you know, uh, Prelude World Challenge. He's raced, you know, IMSA. And he's currently, I mean, is he coming back in... I, I, from what it sounds like, yeah, he'll be back this weekend <clears> as well. And, and even he struggled last year. I mean, it took him about halfway through the season to finally sure. get up on the box, um, which he did at Watkins Glen. We had a really good race together. Um, and yeah, form, former champion. I mean, Sparks, Nathaniel Sparks, who finished second in the points, former champion, uh, the 2016 champion. And he didn't struggle by any means, but it, it's nobody's walking away with a race. Um, nobody, right. nobody gets out front and just dominates for some reason anymore. Um, so really challenging. I'm curious well, so, to see so, how this season's going to end up. Yeah. And so those cars, I, I haven't raced the new MX-5 cup car before, but you know, Miatas in general, um, they're, 
you know, teammates are important. Drafting is important Massive, because yeah. they don't, um, they don't make a whole lot of power. Uh, and so when you can get two of them together at a, dra- a track like Daytona, uh, or, or even VIR or so a uh, good example, I guess would be Indy yeah. this year. So, you know, talk about that race a little bit, because I remember watching it going, you know, Holy smokes, these yeah. the two leaders have, Massive. you guys had it figured out. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was you and your teammate, right? Yeah, it and, was. And you had like a full straightaway at Indy worth of a lead. I mean, it was like, I don't know, a 15 second lead over P3. Yeah, it, it was actually, we set, was because- the, we set the record for the biggest gap pulled between second and third. That two cars had pulled on third place at like 23 yeah. seconds by the finish. So, so talk, I mean, I'm curious then, like you guys go in, you know, to, to this race, knowing that a draft is important. I mean, do you decide, Hey, okay, I'm going to lead and you're going to push. Or do you just say, Hey, look, we're going to go into to turn one and wherever we come out, then we, we make a plan and we work together. And how did that race play out? That was the most textbook. You and your teammate work together. And on the last lap, gloves are off and you guys can have some fun, sure. right? Which is what every team dreams of. And it was, I always, I struggled in qualifying last year. I had some moments of brilliance in Indianapolis and a few places we had, we had some, okay, qualifying results but um i just couldn't get in the right place at the right time and qualifying like i wanted to most of the season so i'd have to battle my way to the front um, we did both start in the top four for both indie races we had a saturday and a sunday event so uh basically it was just a hey let's find each other once we get through the first lap uh get through the carnage and let's find each other and then let's go so no hey i'll be in front you'll be in front um, which sometimes right. makes sense if you have a car for whatever reason maybe i, I get out of those corners better down the straightaway maybe right. i should be behind you pushing um, were you guys we were, on the same radio channel? Were you able to talk to each other? We were not. And uh, in fact, the series was... Is that legal? Ma- no, it is not legal. Okay. And the series was making sure that that was not happening. Um, but we we were doing our best with hand signals um, sure. from inside of the cars, right? And I'm trying to relay to my spotter, to relay to the other spotter, to relay to him certain information. So on the first race... You guys are basically NASCAR drivers. Yeah, <laughs> give or take. Yeah. Um, so I got in front of him. I actually did make a pass on him at some point in the first race. And I remember he wasn't too happy about it. He's like, we need to be working together. we got to check out farther before we make the pass. But just one of those deals, you know, his helmet was on, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm getting out yeah. front. Um, and I managed to, to hold on to it. Last lap, we pulled a huge gap. We went for it. He tried to make a few passes. I held him off. I won that round on Saturday. Sunday, we went out. He was out front. I was in second. Pushed him all the way around to the last lap. Um, tried to make a move um, on the last lap. And... Uh, I, I didn't get the move done on him that time and he went away and he won the second race and I got second. I mean, it was one, two for both rounds at the Indy motor speedway, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, but you know, in, in the rain was the Sunday race started in the wet, it dried out. So we were trying to keep the rain tires in the water. We were trying to search out the water and down the front straight away at, at Indy. You want to be all the way up against pit wall on the right side, sure. uh, which is offline. So, uh, the issue is to make a pass uh, without it be blocking, right? So we're going down the right side of the straightaway. I'm in second. Gallagher is in first. Gallagher um, has to move to the left before I do. If I move left to set up for turn one and then he moves over with me, he is blocking because I made the first move. You cannot react to the car behind you. So even though I wasn't trying to make a pass, I'd be pushing him, pushing him. He doesn't want to turn because I'm running into the back of his bumper, right? Right. But I have to, so then we had to start communicating, okay, 
once we get to the end of pit wall, he started waving me off. He'd throw his hand up. I'd lift off the gas so I wouldn't be bumping him. He would move left. Then I would move left. But it took laps and laps of us trying to figure out how we're going to make this work because I'd go left. He'd have to stay inside for the corner. We'd slow down. So I'm on the so, radio. So going, the series made that out. clear that say, saying, hey, if, if we see this, we're going to call it. Or, or did you guys it just, was it was preventative. It was like, hey, we don't want to. We don't want to do it in the it. first place. We know that that is something the series watches out for. We don't, they've done it in the so driver's t- meetings. Talk about, we don't yeah. want to see blocking. We talk don't about preparation and, and understanding, hey, this is what we've got to do to win. And yeah, so we don't want to even come close to doing something that could be questionable. Yeah, and because he having, have, is having to take a sharper <laughs> radius into turn one, yeah. it's slowing us it's down. Slowing so both of like, you down, yeah. We need to figure this out. We want to get in the water, but I need to not bump you so much that you can still make the turn before me to set up for the first corner. So now... He's trying, starting to wave me off. I've now communicated with my spotter who's talking to his spotter. And we basically, I, I think we said that like the end of pit wall. Uh, at the end of pit wall, yeah. I'm going to lift off the gas. He makes the first move. I can follow him over. Um, so all that little strategy was was going on in the meantime. Um, and it was, it's hard, man. It's, yeah. it's really, really hard racing. And I was, unfortunately, ended up with a deficit. The transponder didn't work for my first race. So I was at a huge points downfall uh, right off the bat. Oh, the first race and, at Barber. That's right. Yep, yeah, my transponder didn't work. So they didn't, so they they didn't score me. you, and so, yeah, wherever they I black wherever flagged I you or something, up. right? Yeah, black yeah. flagged me, and so that that was kind of a mess and a really really upsetting way to start the season. Um, so to still come back, do third in the points, get some wins, um, get good uh, uh, media coverage and such for yeah. the sponsors. Lucas Hoy and everybody seemed really happy with it. Um, and we did get Rookie of the Year, which was a fifty thousand dollar prize. They've now since bumped that to a seventy five thousand dollar prize. Um, for this year for this year yep for 2018 so can you be a rookie again this year no i cannot <laughs> they didn't i they robert, didn't really didn't want me to robert schmout is driving this year <laughs> they didn't want me to be a rookie last year that was quite the battle it actually went on if you look at all the press releases for 2017 like getting the season going and for our rookies that are going for rookie of the year my name was never on the list um right and indycar is now the sanctioning body for mazda but it was a big battle of you're not a rookie You've got a professional championship, but if you look at the Mazda rulebook from last year, if you have never competed in this series, you classify as a rookie. Yeah. So it was, this is what your guys' rulebook says, man. And this is a big perk for me to want to come and compete in this series. Um, so that was a little bit of a battle that we fought, but they they But for held good reason, because look, you ended up winning. I got a $50,000 scholarship to help come back. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, I so mean, that's huge. So you're back with the same team, uh, and it's... McAleer McCombie Racing, right? Yep. Uh, McCombie McAleer Racing. McCombie yep. McAleer. Excuse me. Um, yep. So those Sorry, two guys. Sorry, guys. I know both of those guys. <laughs> um, and they did awesome, awesome program. Um, we dominated last year. I think between Patrick and myself, we won like I was a 10 out of 14 races or, or something ridiculous. Yeah. So um, so who are your teammates going to be this year? Talk about this year a little um, bit. Let me um, bust out my phone because I have like 15 of them. Oh, there, you guys have we a lot of cars this up. year. They bought a whole new track trailer. I think they're oh, legitimately wow. fielding like eight cars. But uh, it'd be myself. I think Ari Strauss um, of Monticello Motor Club is going to yep. be out there. Um, Alex <laughs> Walensky, um, uh, the teammate uh, Joey Bickers, is who was incredibly fast at the test and yeah. really looking forward to doing some racing with him and working with him. And this you guys year. are actually, the, the final race is going to be at Monticello. Correct. It is a Monticello now this year. So, yeah. um, and great facility, also a BMW uh, associated facility. Yes, yes. So, really cool. Love that track. Um, we got to go have some fun out there together. And the issue now is we are going to Portland 
which I've never been to. Yeah, me neither. I, I mean, some people yeah. say it's a cool track, I guess. Uh, but IndyCar is going good, back there. Good so, beer there. Um, so that the big perk is going back over there with IndyCar, of course, and Mazda. Right. Uh, but we go all the way from Portland, and then we shoot straight back to Monticello, New York City. So the next was it the next week or how close are the two? They're within they're within the same month. So it's oh, wow. Um, but talk about travel. So for yeah. the, for the little guy trying to um, that trying to certainly run the full adds schedule, a lot of cost. That's a, that's a lot of travel, man. So sure. Um, it, but Monticello so, has a lot of Mazda supporters, a lot of MX Five Cup cars there. Right. They run um, those. And from uh, what it sounds like, those Queely races. Yeah. From what it sounds like, is they they uh, sound really confident that they're going to get us a really large car count for the final final event out there. So great. Um, if it's good for the series, then um, then excellent. They've actually now introduced the new what was it the, the Masters division? I think they're calling it um, for a for lack of a better description an amateur division oh, oh sure, sure sure yeah okay like uh yeah um so that that brings in a lot of um you know like we talked about you put two hundred thousand dollars on the line that's going to attract attention yeah. um you get people like myself like joey bickers like uh, patrick gallagher like these drivers that are are good enough to compete at top levels in imsa and now you get the guy that's like, man, I try to do this for fun. I have my X5 Cup car. You know, I can wheel pretty good, but I still do have my profession and my family at home. Yeah. And now that guy's going. Okay, I'm well, not going to beat the Robert Stouts. I've and got the, and the kids coming in that have got the Pat Gallagher's. Yeah. So I'm not going to beat those guys. I want to be out there with them, but created their own their own class for those guys to right. compete. Yeah. Yeah. That, and, and it's not fun. You know, you never want you don't want a guy to come in and do two races and go, I suck and go home and not feel like he's welcomed back or anything sure. like that. So well I mean it goes back to look, you know, the, the, there's all these cars out there that Mazda has built and sold and you know they, they want them utilized at the racetrack. Right. And you know they're they're putting up this big scholarship money. I mean and, and we just talked about how professional, how competitive this series is. So it's I think it's cool. I think it's a great idea, you know, to to get more people out and more cars involved to say, hey look this is a, a master's championship or, or uh, you know, whatever they're calling it this year, the, the yeah. kind of non-pro or non-top-level uh, um, championship right. to, to get more people out there. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's only a positive thing if it, if it helps the series grow and gets, gets more cars out there. Um, so so t- let's talk about real quick. Uh, lunch is here. Yes. I'm starving. We've been at this for a while. Let's, uh, how is this year going to go? What, what's it going to be like? Man, you, you've uh, got, so you've got MX-5 Cup. And you've got some off-road racing. So tell me a little bit about how this year is going to go for you. And then maybe a little bit about what 2019 holds for Robert Stout. Yeah. So I've uh, got to do the full global MX-5 Cup again. Um, God, I think this is the first time, and I don't even know how long, maybe ever, that, that I had a deal set in stone before January. Um, so running global MX-5 Cup, going for the championship, make or break. Um, I arguably think this season is going to be more difficult than it even was last season. So uh, for the first time, I'm actually... Fairly nervous going in into this season, uh, but really excited. I mean, because I, I have very I high I, expectations for myself. To I think perform. I told you last year when you first started the, the when you were about to start the season, like, dude, you're gonna get your butt kicked. Yeah, I was like, that's I mean, a competitive series, and and, and to I be was fair, legitimately you, like, yeah, <laughs> this is you're right, this might happen here. Um, so it's a it's a difficult series. So looking forward to doing that, and on some new tracks that we're racing on this year as well, starting at Coda this weekend. Um, uh, was supposed to be running and will be running uh, the UTV, the production UTV 1000 and Lucas Oil short course off-road racing this year. The reason I say I uh, was supposed to, they were supposed to do the last race this past Saturday at Glen Helen and the whole race 
uh, got canceled out due to weather. So oh, um, wow. I haven't run the first round yet, but that'll be coming up at Phoenix now. Uh, will be the first race that will be out there. So UTV is side by sides. That is like a side by side. Polaris Razor type. Yeah, but the deals. exception of some safety deal, the roll cage um, <laughs> seats. Uh, some suspension stuff. I mean, they're little things, but it, it is a stock it? UTV 1000. Have you done anything like that before? I've never driven a UTV ever in my life. <laughs> um, and But I did run a pro buggy in Lucas Oil Short Course Regional. I actually won one of the races there. I ran two or two races, two or three races in a pro buggy. So I've got an idea of what I'm getting myself into and I've spent more time. I love the off-road races. That is probably one of the, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I love going to the races yeah. and watching because um, you can actually watch it. It's super cross meets monster trucks yeah meets global ride oh, look if you look together. on my dvr i've got all the pro two and pro four yeah, races the ones awesome. that your dad is the announcer for yeah yeah i, mean, I, I love, I love watching it it's and for me coming from the east coast being in california for about five years now i had no idea that the off-road racing world was so big and and it's i mean it kind of the epicenter seems like it's out here yeah um, there's just so much of it and, and so for me it's like I'm into it as a fan. I think it's super cool. I want to find out how to get more involved in the off-road world because it's it's so big out here in, in California. Yeah, and, and huge fan base. A huge fan base. You know, and and it, talking about uh, in the business side of off-road racing. I mean, you know, I was reading something the other day that like half of or more than half of all of like the aftermarket parts sold like for like street cars or, or like anything, toys yeah. is, is all for trucks and, and Jeeps really, yeah. and off-road stuff. So the, the, the off-road aftermarket is a huge, it's huge. huge industry. Yep. Um, and, and it's, you know, the, the racing part of it seems to be really well supported out here. And so it's cool to see you doing it. I'm hoping to, to come, uh, come check out yeah. some of your, your yeah, racing. So, and so that should be a lot of fun. And now the UTV deal is just blowing up. Everybody's into the UTVs. They're everywhere. They're at Glamis. They're out in the desert. They're rock climbing. Yeah. They're king of the hammers. So, uh, Lucas oil and they get huge car count and Lucas oil off-road as well. So they've put it into the, into the main show, um, which is awesome. And again, we think about it all from a business side, right? It's, it's got a TV package. I mean, they're getting, uh, as many views as, uh, give or take as IMSA. So if you go to a sponsor, I mean, how do yeah. you argue with a series for UTV that's well under a hundred thousand dollars and an IMSA, you got to spend a quarter million, half a million dollars, whatever the case is. And they're looking at it going, well, I get the same TV time for spending. Yeah. Of course, I'm going to go less than six figures. So uh, that's the great thing about the UTV. It's a cheap, affordable way to get people into off-road. And on top of that, manufacturers are involved. Yamaha, Polaris, all these people are jacked up. And they're they're giving people factory spending UTV money. rides. Yeah, um, so it's all business. you got to think long-term, man. Maybe there's potential to make a relationship with the manufacturer. There's TV time. Right. So it's not um, what you set out to do, but it's this opportunity that says, hey, look, this is – I can do this. We we The companies that support us support this. Yeah, there's a lot of, of connections and tie-ins, and it makes sense. And so you know, it, it's my, – my view on it is you know, people say, oh, w- would you ever want to race NASCAR? Would you ever want to race this? I'm, like if the question is would you ever want to race – it doesn't even matter what the rest of that yeah. sentence is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. If it has a steering wheel and four wheels, or even if it has a, a, a steering wheel and no wheels. Even if it's a beach if, cruiser if on North Palm. <laughs> the, uh, the, the PCBC GP. Yeah, no, that's it. You remembered that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. First try, too. So, so, yeah, the off-road is cool. And for anybody that's curious that wants to know what off-road is, uh, or Pro 4 or Pro 2, they actually just um, created a movie called Dirt. That's all about Pro 4 racing, which is pretty cool. Uh, we went to the premiere in Hollywood for that last last week. So um, nice. that's pretty epic if anybody wanted to check that out. Um, so that'll be cool. And then for 2019, I mean, the, the goal would be able to get 
uh, the Mazda, the Mazda scholarship. Yeah, and I don't, I don't even know go where, where to go. Yeah. I, that's the hard thing, right? I mean, Mazda has the road to the 24, but the road is, um, needs construction. Um, <laughs> so there's some potholes yeah. along the way, right? So I know TCR is becoming a big class. It's a class that would suit Mazda really well, whether they'll put a car out there for TCR or not, who knows? Yeah. Um, if they Hopefully. did, that would be awesome. I'd love to see them be a part of it. Um, so that would be a great step. I'd love to go LMP three racing. Um, you know, Mazda it's is a supporter of that series and um it, it's doesn't have this full schedule that I'd like. It's not a ton of race weekends, but sure. you'd say it's a LMP three car. It's a P it's a prototype that is actually, you know, it it looks about ten times more expensive than it is. And again, it all yeah. comes back to budget. Yeah. I mean the, the budgets for, we talked about GT three earlier being crazy expensive and, you know, you can run LMP two programs or, you know, forget about the fact we didn't even talk about, um, racing in Europe, which is the last couple of years. That's where I've been doing right. a good amount of racing because the budgets over there are so much easier to stomach and so much, um, so much smaller, uh, than, than the budgets for racing touring cars, GT cars, and even prototypes, uh, in the States versus Europe. Yeah. Somebody was um, talking about running a, uh, a, well, it might've been, it was either a P2 or a P3 car over there. And I mean, it, it was cheaper than a GS ride or something oh, like that. Oh, a lot over cheaper. You, I mean, you can run a, a P3 car in ELMS for like under half a million dollars a year. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think most teams are almost a million bucks here in the seven, seven fifty to a million dollars a year for a GS car, which is GT4, yeah. you know, 10 races a year. Yeah. It's, and a Mustang. And Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no or, offense, Ford, but you know, <laughs> right? It's, you're talking about a full blown carbon prototype car as opposed to a factory yeah. manufacturer, uh, a manufactured GT4 car. So, um, yeah, that's out of control. And a lot of people ask, why don't you go over to Europe? Why don't you do some of those events? But it all comes back to again, hey, my supporters, yeah, aren't it doesn't make sense for them to go spend money over in Europe or, or to do these things. So, yeah, their um, their markets here, sure. So I'll keep keep pushing here, keep banging on the doors. I want to do get into more coaching, more more private instructing work, and getting in in with those people, uh, and the Ferrari Challenge style series and events. Um, hopefully, I can walk away with a championship this year, some more off road experience, and um, I'll be playing down in Australia this year too for the V8 Supercar Driver Search. Which just sounded like a really good excuse to go hang out in Australia for a couple of weeks. So let's let's wrap up on that. Tell me a little bit about this shootout you're going to do and and what you're going to drive and if you win, what it what do you get? Uh, so V8 the, supercar. I mean, really? Yeah, we, I'm legitimately going to drive a V8 supercar. And if that wasn't reason, well, you get to, to drive to, it as part of the shootout. Yo, yeah. Wait, yeah. Why didn't I do this? Because thanks I didn't for, watch thanks, you in the competition. Thanks for telling me. <laughs> <laughs> I had to wait until uh, the polls were closed, right? Um, so no, I mean it's. I signed up for two competitions, the pro competition as well, which includes uh, you drive a GT86, which is the FRS, the BRZ, sure, Toyota yeah, yeah. 86, right? But but track prepped. Uh, you drive a Ute, uh, one of the Ute trucks over there, yeah. track prepped as well, uh, and a V8 supercar. So I think you roughly get a session in each of those. They're judging you on overall speed, uh, how you take care of your equipment. You know, a couple of the basic things about driving, they're going to choose 10 out of 30 people to move on to the finals, which will take place in December. Um, and then from there, you know, I think there'll be a hundred people or something like that in the finals. And if you win, you get a $600,000 scholarship Holy to run the, uh, uh, Dunlop super two series over in Australia, full season, which Holy is smokes. awesome, which yeah. is the most unbelievable thing ever. So I was like, and it was whatever it was, 40, 
for $4,000, give or take, to sign up for this deal. And I'm like, man, gotcha. if somebody said you can come drive utes and a v8 supercar and this other track car and you're gonna come out and rip for the day and it only costs you four thousand dollars yeah and, you, and i and get to go to sydney australia and go because i plan on doing a vacation out of the states anyway so now i'm going down there kill two birds at one stone and i've got a one in three shot of moving on to the finals i'm in sign me up Game so on. cool um i literally did that i did the the gt competition which is in an audi gt3 car and this is a separate competition separate but competition kind of but on the same day um, and if you win same, I think they choose one out of six people as the odd or huh. one out of five, something like that. We'll move on to the finals. If you win that, um, then you get a, uh, a weekend and though it was a Blanc pond, Blanc pond series, Blanc yeah. series, whatever they call it. Um, uh, in an Audi R8 GT3 car, you get to choose which weekend you plan on doing. It's like a $60,000 scholarship towards it or something along those lines. Um, gotcha. So yeah, signed up. Hustling, I'm in, going to Sydney, and gonna go throw down, represent yeah. the old USA. Absolutely. So we'll see if they'll awesome. choose an American for Aussie's next <laughs> pro driver. I'm sure the odds are uh, on my side on that. Wow. So so either way, it'll be a fun vacation. You get to drive some cool stuff. Super uh, fun. Just an opportunity to go, comes of it. Yeah. Yeah. Super opp- good opportunity to go wheel some uh, some cool cars and go chill on the beach down in Australia. Awesome. Cool. Well, good luck with that. I'm sure uh, you'll let me know how that goes. Uh, thanks for sitting down and, and uh, chatting with yes, for yes. Thank you for having me. Holy smokes, almost two hours. Um, I'm going to have to edit like 80, of 80% of this out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so best of luck with everything. I'll see you at Coda this weekend. I think both of our flights probably leave tomorrow. Yes. And, uh, and hopefully we'll see you out on track at some point this year as well. And uh, let's go eat lunch. What do you let's say? Let's do it. Thanks, man. Thanks awesome. for having me. Yep.